When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The economy is starting to open up again. More and more states allowing stores, restaurants, and other small businesses to reopen their doors, most with reduced capacity. But earlier this week, America's new favorite TV doctor and infectious disease expert, Dr. Fauci, warned Congress that reopening the economy too quickly could trigger what he calls an outbreak that you may not be able to control. That brought stocks down for the day. Then yesterday, stocks plunged even more after Fed Chairman Powell's comments about a prolonged downturn and uncertain times ahead. As investors, we try to anticipate these kinds of events and prepare for every possible scenario. So today on Dumb Money Live, we're going to share with you what we're doing to brace our investment portfolios for the second wave. This is Dumb Money Live with Chris Camillo. Dave Hansen and Jordan McLean, streaming live on YouTube. We are Dumb Money. Hey there, Dave here, along with Chris and Jordan. Welcome to the show. There is so much going on, so many opinions, so much uncertainty. I know that even among our friends, some are going out to restaurants, going to work, meeting up for lunch hopefully being as safe as they can be. But even though we're in Texas, the three of us are still planning to stay self-quarantined and we're taking uh, more of a wait and see approach. I think we can all agree that there will be some sort of second wave and that nobody can predict just how prolonged the effect will be on the economy and the stock market. We weathered the crash better than most. And Chris, you doubled your net worth since the stock market started to tank in February. So what's next? We have some ideas, but I think today's show is going to be just as helpful for me as our viewers. Have either of you already made any defensive trades? Um, you know, for me, Dave, it's not all or nothing, right? So we've talked about this, you know, over the past couple of weeks. Um, one of two things is going to happen or some combination of the two is going to happen over the next few weeks. We're either going to get a sense that this coming out party is not going well uh, and people will start to contract again. Uh, cities will start to selectively kind of, you know, increase restrictions. And, uh, you know, so you can call it a second wave. I don't know if it's really going to be a full second wave right this summer, um, but anticipation of things getting worse in the fall or anticipation of a second wave. It doesn't actually have to be a second wave. That alone will cause uh, a number of things to happen in the market, right? And I think today's episode is all talking about if you feel that the that the economy is moving towards a second wave, right? Or fear of a second wave, there are a number of ways to trade that. Uh, on the flip side, you know, we potentially have a vaccine or news of a vaccine or or hope of a vaccine that's coming out at some point in the next six months, eight months, nine months. And if 
the economy starts to act like that is imminent, then there's a whole nother trade there. And that's a whole nother episode. I think that's our very next episode. But in today's episode, these are second wave stocks. And it's not like I'm going all in on these stocks, but I have started to take small positions in second wave stocks, and I'll likely add to them over the next, I don't know, two to six weeks if things start to deteriorate, right? Hey, uh, hey, Chris, and we'll talk about it. Before, before we go on, you, we, we set up this thing like 30 minutes before we went on, and then you moved your camera at the last minute. So you were way off center. So I'm having to like zoom in on your frame. Just center yourself again. Okay. Just you get want, in the center of that frame. Is that the center? That looks better, yes. Okay. I, I can't see because <laughs> my, uh, my tape is like two minutes delayed. Tomorrow, um, we're going to have you use the front of the camera whenever we're on next. <laughs> but I think that looks okay. better. So. He, he, here's center again. Okay, what I need you to do. I didn't move. Pan, pan a little bit. I know, but this is you're not in the same spot. Okay, hold on. Do you See, want me Jordan, to move? Jordan's or, in the center. Or move the camera. Move the camera. Okay, move it that way. Yes, I think that should be good. Okay, that's okay. good. From there, I well, yeah, or, it's good enough. Or was that too much? No, I'll fix it. I'll fix okay. it in post. <laughs> Okay, there we go. All right. So I before we talk about individual stocks, I want to talk about sectors, okay? These are the sectors we'll discuss on today's show. And for each of these sectors, I think I want to discuss the most the best picks for a second wave trade, okay? So the sectors are airlines, hotels, uh, rental cars, amusement parks, apparel companies, casino companies, cruise stocks, restaurants and restaurant suppliers, entertainment, movie theaters, and gyms. Okay, I know that sounds like a lot, but I should have been taking notes. Why didn't you send I, these notes to me in advance? I'm sorry. But <laughs> it, 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 listen, I, I really just want to throw out some, some ideas behind each of these sectors and discuss which, because listen, here's the thing. I would love, theoretically, I would love to have a basket. I think we should all have a basket of second wave stocks. We should know what they are. So remember, it's all about having a prepared mind. We, when things start to go bad, the last thing you want to do is be like, oh, things are going worse than I anticipated. What am I going to short, right? What stocks am I going to short? That's not when you do that work. Now is when you do that work. You need to have your basket of second wave stocks. That's what this episode is about. So that if, let's hope it never happens, but in the event that three weeks from now, four weeks from now, Texas, after being kind of out and about for a month, their numbers start to tick back up, or Georgia starts to tick up, or Florida starts to tick up, or any of these states, the second you feel that, oh my gosh, this is actually happening, this is a nightmare, you already have that basket. It's like a, it's like an ETF that you've built for yourself that you can just start to ratchet it up. And honestly, it's not like one day I'm going to just short all these stocks with 25% of my portfolio, 50% yeah. of my portfolio. It's kind of like, okay, I want to put on a 3% short. Or I'm going to move it to a 5% or a 7%, 8%, 10%. Like for me, I have a very tiny bit of my portfolio short in a few of these stocks. And I could see myself increasing that position 10x if this thing really were to get worse. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense. And that's that's kind of where I stand too, because I haven't... I haven't made the big defensive moves yet that we made two months ago, three months ago, whenever that was. 
Um, but I have started doing some uh, writing covered calls to have some some upside in the event of a downturn in the stocks that I'm holding. So that sort of thing is, you know, it's, it's something that I, I traditionally stay away from, but right now I feel like we're in a time where it might make sense to, to, to do some of these defensive things. And I really want to hear your specific stocks in each of those baskets, because I think that that's, that's a good strategy. I think that we're, we're in a time right now where normally our kind of, at least for me, it's like, the S&P 500 is my favorite lifetime stock. I would always want to be in that. But just today, Megan was asking me, should I should I be in the S&P 500 right now? And my answer was no. I think that there are too many losers in the S&P 500 right now. If you want to be in an index, the, um, the NASDAQ 100 might be better. Um, but just generally, we're in a very different kind of environment. And it's it's making me rethink that that kind of strategy and trying to pick those winners and stay away from the losers or short the losers or have have a strategy where, you know, being able to switch from long to short um, and pivot like that is important. Exactly. Like we have to do that quickly. Yeah. So I'm looking to not um, try to pick individual stocks that I want to short. I think I think that's a good strategy um, for you guys. My problem is that a lot of the ones you're mentioning are already so depressed. Um, I don't really see them coming back if we get a second wave. The second wave would come pretty fast. So what I'm looking at doing um, is keeping an eye on the Russell 2000, right? So I think those are probably the 2,000 most vulnerable public companies. It's an index that you can just short one and done um, and let it sit against your portfolio. It's probably going to be more affected um, on an aggregate basis than I think the S&P will be. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm looking at doing. J- Jordan, that's actually that's actually kind of a really easy way to cheat what we're talking about doing today. Yeah. Like what we're talking about doing today, I think, if, if you don't want to create a custom basket and do the work to do that, I would say the second best option would be to short the Russell 2000. Um, if you don't want to have to play around picking the worst stocks, but I think whether it's for fun or whether you're seriously putting together this little mini mini portfolio of short stocks, I think it's interesting to go through the exercise because if we get into a true second wave, my goal is to short the stocks that I think legitimately can go bankrupt. Uh, or at least where the market is like, uh, the, and usually these are stocks that either have the weakest balance sheets, right, or stocks that simply don't have enough cash that are in the most vulnerable position. So um, why don't we just start with the one, you know, the sector everyone talks about, which is airlines. And, and we don't need to spend a lot of time on this because, in my opinion, I think it's pretty straightforward. It's all about balance sheets, right? So I think it, everyone understands now that the weakest of the airlines is American Airlines. I'm shorting American Airlines. I've been shorting it on and off. Uh, I recently put a short position back on American Airlines. And I think, you know, if if we get a second wave scenario, and by the way, my short is really small. It's like that big. Um, but if things start to get worse, um, that is the one airline that I will continue to move into a deeper short position. They are the weakest airline, the weakest balance sheet. 
Um, it's the one that's most likely to go down uh, if things get bad. And it's obvious. I mean, it's the one that's been it's the one that's been trading the worst. Right. And, and for a very good reason. Uh, United Airlines, I think, would be the second worst uh, uh, from a balance sheet perspective. You guys have any ideas on that? On shorting uh, specific airlines, I I feel like there's a possible. I mean, I, I agree with you on American, but look how far down it is. And do you do you see American going bankrupt? That that's mm-hmm. that's kind of my concern there. Yeah, that's that's kind of and, my and problem. not bankrupt, but it, like I literally think, shutting down and yeah. having zero value. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, uh, the move has already happened on the you know to the downside, and now all the risk lies in do they make it right. That, that and that that's everything we're talking about right now. It, if there is a second wave, a true second wave, or any inkling that a second wave is is imminent in the fall, American Airlines will not survive. Okay, they are not going to get another half trillion dollars uh, from the U.S. government. That package was an emergency package. It was controversial. Okay, um, do you think that there's going to be another package like that? For airlines, when we still, but I can guarantee you by the fall, I can guarantee you that small business will still be complaining about not having gotten their money yet, right? Yeah. Like we might be able to get 20% of small business at best. There is no way going into this election that with small business going out of business all over the country in a potential second wave, that the government is going to send another trillion dollars to the airlines, right? Whatever, whatever it happens to be, another hundred billion dollars, excuse me, whatever it happens to be, um, that's that's just simply not going to happen. So without that money, uh, by the way, United Airlines, which is slightly stronger than American, tried to raise money this last week. I don't know if you guys know that. Guess what? They couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so they tried, and, and I, they, they might. They were have basically to trying to do what the cruise industry has has had some limited success raising money. We saw Norwegian do it. Uh, is has Royal actually done it yet? Um, Royal Caribbean, uh, I'm not sure. I think they were talking about doing it. And by the way, I just see out of the corner of my eye uh, a comment. Trump said the airline who will not let the airline start. Trump doesn't have a choice at this point. This is not a Trump thing. Yeah. Um, he 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 needs support uh, for this type of secondary package. No one's even talking about more money for airlines. That's not even on the table. They got a huge amount of money. The only reason why they got that money was to keep people employed for three months, two or three months, right? Um, So that's now off the table, I think, nearly 100% going forward. So if we get inklings of a second wave, there will be airline bankruptcies. American Airlines is the most likely to go bankrupt. So yes, you're like, oh, it fell from 30 or 40 to nine. Well, it's it's going from nine to zero, okay, if we get a second wave. So again, I have a very small short position. I will be going will be, you way will be, deeper into that. Yeah, so so that's the thing though. If If the airlines were to just not exist, do you think American is the the one that will not exist first, right? You, you know they that it will exist. I'm yeah, not airlines are not, going to survive, exist. but but going to going bankrupt doesn't mean zero. And I'm my my question is how much lower is as American going to go? Is it going to cut in half again down to four? I think if it goes bankrupt, it will go close to zero in a restructuring uh, with the amount of debt they currently have right now because it's they are they, they have taken on so much debt. Um, in the event of a bankruptcy, I don't see a scenario where American uh, gets acquired out of bankruptcy with a whole lot for the equity holders, because you got to remember, 
in a situation where you have a bankruptcy and they could come out of bankruptcy uh, with equity value, the most likely situation there is that another airline is acquiring them and acquiring them for a reasonable enough price that the equity that they can pay off that debt and actually uh, work something out for equity holders. Do you see other airlines being that strong in this scenario? No. So so that scenarios no longer exist. There, there's no one that's going to like save American Airlines out of bankruptcy and save the equity holders so they get a few bucks a share. I think it's likely that American, if it does go bankrupt, uh, will be very close to, if not, uh, $0 a share if if they go bankrupt. And and to go bankrupt, we would need a second wave in the fall. But this episode's yeah. about a second wave, right? Yeah. So And preparing so that, for that, that as a possibility. Exactly. So that's that's it. That's the that's the airline. And I think if you want to have if you want to diversify and have multiple airlines, probably United Airlines is your second. Um, but I would just go with the weakest. Right. Because there's only remember, there's only so much money to go around in the private market for airlines. So if you have someone that's willing to roll the dice and lend, you know, tens of billions of dollars, a hundred billion dollars to an airline, uh, it's they're, they're going to do it with the strongest, right? They're not going to do it with the weakest. Yeah. So the weakest airline is going to get stuck with, with no lenders to save it, right? If we get a second wave. And that's why I think it'll be American Airlines. Which airline came out and said that they were going to retire their fleet of 777s? That was, was Delta that this morning. They Delta. announced that, yeah. So does that mean that they're like getting rid of these long haul international flights, basically? What does that mean? That means they're they're reducing their uh, capacity and number of flights to the point where they aren't going to be. I mean, if you need to do a long haul flight, there will be a way to do it. There, there's not going to be as many flights. You, you, you're just not going to see that many people flying to Europe right now. Yeah. And I think if they do fly to Europe, they probably have smaller planes, right? That they, they're thinking, you know, we don't need to be flying that much capacity. It's a pretty crazy move. Listen, I mean, we, need, we talk they, about like our, uh, you know, trying to shut down the borders and not allow people to come in. Other countries don't want America. I mean, we're, yeah, they don't want worst, us coming right? in. So basically there's, if, if countries are not wanting people to travel amongst countries, there's no reason to have a triple seven, you know, making that flight once a day. Right. But this kind of moves this into the long-term category, which is kind of concerning, right? Because we were thinking, oh, is this a few months? Is it two quarters? Is it three quarters? But kind of shutting that down means yeah. this is, is this like a year before we start really getting uh, European travel back? Yeah. 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 I mean, Jordan, if we don't get a vaccine, until next year, yeah. It, it, I mean, I don't think anybody is flying internationally except for very rare, uh, you know, situations. Because I think you, what you're going to see is, I aren't haven't some companies announced like a two week quarantine if you come in from another country? Yeah. Who wants to do that yeah. <laughs> for a business exactly. trip or vacation? Yeah. Um. So anyway, I listen. I, I, I think I think it's a pretty simple call. Uh, if you want to pick a weak airline in a second wave, American's going to be the airline. I, listen, I don't think we're coming up with anything new there. The market seems to understand that. I think it was just kind of worth worth stating that that they are the airline uh, for me at least. They're the airline I'm shorting, and I'll continue to short if the second wave looks imminent. Um, so, what's your next category? So, hotels. And here's the thing about yeah. hotels, guys. Um, I'm not sure that I would actually short i probably would short hotels but i wouldn't be excited about shorting them because i think hotels are likely to pull out of this some of the big hotel uh brands like you know marriott being the largest um 
you know, even like, you know, Hyatt, for example, uh, you know, Hyatt has a lot. They actually own a lot of their I think Hyatt has owns a lot of their assets. Um, I think where where Marriott is really asset light. So it's a little more dangerous. But the truth is, you know, I think these hotel, there's only a few of these big hotel brands. They are capable of raising capital. Right. So even if things get really, really, really ugly for Marriott in a second wave scenario, and it will get ugly, and I don't think it holds the $75 range it's in right now in a second wave. It could fall to 40 or 45 or 50. I don't think it's a company that's going down to 15 or 20. Um, and the reason for that is they'll find someone uh, to lend them money, right? Because there's so much to come out of this when they come out of this, right? There's so much opportunity for Marriott on the other side um, that they have the leverage to be able to strike big financing deals, especially when, to my knowledge, have, they haven't received anything from the government. So unlike, you know, unlike the airlines that kind of had their shot, they might be able to pull off some type of government money in a second wave scenario because they haven't kind of taken from that pool yet. So it's not like we tried to save the big hotel companies. But I do have a hotel play um, that I think could be more interesting as a second wave hotel short. And they are hotel REITs, okay? Yeah. So I did a bunch of research on hotel REITs, and I don't really have the answer, so I want to discuss it with you guys and see if you have any opinions here. I, I pulled two hotel REITs I thought were interesting. Um, now, one of them is the smallest hotel REIT. Uh, no, excuse me. Actually, I take that back. I'm, I'm thinking about... Uh, my office REITs, which are for later in the show. But anyway, <laughs> let, let me talk about the two hotel REITs. One is uh, Hersha Hospitality Trust, and the symbol is HT. And another is Ashford Hospitality Trust, AHT. And the reason why I picked these two REITs was because of all the hotel REITs, uh, they seem to have the weakest uh, balance sheets out of all the ones I was able to find. So... I think if you want to short the hotel sector in a second wave scenario, I don't think these REITs are going to have access to capital the same way that a Marriott would have access to capital. And I think that's probably the smarter play here. So for me, um, in a second wave, I'm probably going to throw some short money behind one or both of these hotel REITs, right? Just, yeah, and, just and I agree. I think, I think much, much like... Picking winners and losers out of the S&P, I think, in, in hotels, the big brands, the Marriott's and the Hyatt's of the world are probably the ones that will survive. And it's all of the other little players that will be, you know, combined in these REITs that that really probably have the, the most downside. Yeah, because guys realize that that it, it, it's real estate, right? So they have enormous debt, these REITs, and they have to pay that debt with money coming in the door. Uh, and there is no scenario where they can continue to pay debt for any prolonged period of time when their occupancy rates are 5% or 10%. I mean, yeah, that, do, we know, that is do we know the structure of their loans though? Do we know, you know, is this stuff securitized? Like what's the, you know, what's the deal here? Yeah. So, so I, I did spend some time on that and Yes. I mean, the, the, the notes come due in time uh, and, and, you know, varying rates have, have, you know, payments that are due over the next few years. 
but the reality is they just they to me they all look like they're on six to ten month twelve month timelines for really getting in trouble, like really getting in trouble. Well, right. I mean, just the definition of a REIT, right, is that they have to pass through a certain amount of that revenue that comes in. Yes. And so they really can't just hold on to cash. They they can't hold on to cash. But the thing is, they they will have zero cash coming in the door, and their expenses are very high with the way they're – because essentially everything is levered up with debt. On these yeah. REITs, right? They lever up with debt to own these properties, and there's an enormous cost in keeping these properties just maintained and open, right? And that's they're obviously paying that money to Marriott, right? Because Marriott is an operator of a hotel, um, and they're paying these costs, right, to the to the operator. So anyway, I think the REITs might be a little bit of a smarter play in a really bad second wave scenario. But honestly, like hotels, it. It's not one I'm super excited about either on the short side, but yeah. I would have it as part of a diversified short second wave portfolio. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that the hotels, all of these have potential of going down a little bit more, but I it just makes me nervous shorting these companies because generally the stock market likes to go up, right? And these these companies are so depressed and it's like, how how much longer is it going to go and how much worse could the second wave be and it'll be very interesting to see what happens with with all of it yeah and i'm not shorting them now right so like i I, again these are only companies that i would short because in the event of a second wave i think you're going to see a rush of people uh looking for stocks to short uh, a, a rush of people looking to sell off the weakest players in the market that would be impacted by a second wave and again, I think when they do their homework, they'll find out that these are the weakest players if they don't know that already. So if you have a prepared mind, you have this portfolio ready to go, you can kind of get a jump on it. That, that, that's, that's my thought, at least. Um, and that runs into the kind of the, rent, the car rental companies. Now, here are some really weak players, right? Yeah. So Hertz is in the process. And I don't know if any news has come out on Hertz in the last couple of days, but they have already came out and essentially said, we're preparing to file for bankruptcy, right? But um, the market just assumes, and Hertz is such a mega brand, uh, the market just assumes that they're going to be able to work something out with their creditors and that Hertz isn't really going to go bankrupt. Uh, They got a three-week extension. I think that extension is up uh, in a week uh, to kind of restructure their debt payments. And you know, they're trading around, they were trading around three bucks. Now they're trading in the upper twos, I think, Hertz. So uh, Hertz is not a company you can necessarily trade. And that's going to work its way out in the next week or two. So I didn't spend much money on her, so much time on Hertz, because they're either going to be bankrupt in two weeks or they're going to find money. All right. So if they do find money and they do survive the next three weeks, Hertz would be the obvious, right? They would be the obvious company to short because you already know they are just on the fringe of bankruptcy and barely were able to get saved for here in May, right? So going into going into August, uh, September in a second wave scenario, if a second wave happens, forget about Hertz. Bye-bye. You're done. Um, <laughs> now, another almost equally interesting short trade is Avis. Uh, Avis is like just a couple notches Uh, better than Hertz when it comes to their balance sheet. And the same way we saw Hertz kind of on the fringe of bankruptcy, 
uh, in a second wave scenario, I think Avis is right there, ready to file for bankruptcy as well. So this is a great, I think this is kind of one of my favorite picks. Uh, if we get some recovery here, or and the, yet there's an opportunity to trade a second wave, if you get in front of a second wave, the car rental companies are, are not healthy at all. No. <laughs> so they're not going to do well. No, they're not. They're not doing any business now. And if there was a second wave, the business, the the little business they have would completely dry up. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So yeah, these guys um, probably depend on you know these uh, business travelers, right? Yeah. It's business and vacation. That's about it. Yes. So that yeah. Jordan, that's exactly it, right? And and that's what makes this sector one of my favorite sectors to short. Yeah. If you feel a second wave is going to happen, because there are other sectors and we're going to talk. Their next sector we're about to talk about is uh, amusements like Six Flags. All right. And and uh, SeaWorld and, and all this stuff. But that potentially could have a life, believe it or not, uh, regardless of a second wave where car rental agencies no one's traveling for business if yeah. we get a second wave. Literally, guys, if we get a second wave that's like it looks like it's coming, right? Like the summer doesn't really get better; it just kind of falls flat. And then as we get into the fall, it like starts to get a little worse, and we start freaking out that oh my gosh, the entire fall and winter we're going to be in quarantine again, or even if we're not in quarantine, we're like still kind of going to work, or the, the people that are packing meat are going to work, but the people that are in white collar jobs are maybe going to work, but nobody, and I mean nobody, is traveling for business meetings. That would just be insane, right? So like, is this not the most obvious sector in a second wave just to cook hard short? No, absolutely. Completely. Um, so I, 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 I love it. That's like one of my favorites. Um, and then speaking of one that's less obvious, and I want to get you guys' opinions because I really don't know how I sit on this. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this sector. Uh, Cedar Fair is like the smallest publicly traded amusement park company. They own regional amusement parks all around the country. And surprisingly, they are pretty well run. Okay. Um, I mean, if you were to debate whether Cedar Fair or Six Flags uh, would be stronger through this. A lot of people are thinking that Cedar Fair is actually the stronger player out of the two. Um, we also have Six Flags. Yeah, which I, I don't, I don't really know anything about Cedar Fair, although if you go by uh, whoever has the best uh, ticker symbol, Fun is a great ticker symbol. So that so great. that actually, there's research behind that, that, that the better ticker symbols tend to do better than stocks that don't have... Hey, Avis is uh, Avis is his car, which yes, is pretty it great. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what, guys? Like, I I actually love these little regional amusement parks that Cedar Fair has. And I was actually at a dinner right before this whole thing started in February with a guy who I think I might have told you this. His family has been in the amusement park business at a very high level for like 50 years, right? And he was telling me that uh, companies like Cedar Fair are potentially going to come out on top because we're Six Flags doesn't go out and buy little amusement parks that are distressed, right? Oh, we're going to turn you into Six Flags, but Cedar Fair does. So Cedar Fair will actually go out and potentially acquire and purchase some of these other regional amusement parks that are distressed 
and that don't have a proper balance sheet to survive any of this. Yeah. And they might actually come out of this thing even stronger, owning a bunch more amusement parks that they're buying for pennies on the dollar. Now, what I want to talk about when it comes to amusement parks, this is fascinating because if amusement parks, as you know, they do all of their business for the most part in the spring, summer, and maybe early fall. Mm -hmm. So if a, if a second, if we get a reasonable recovery this summer and these parks, from what I understand, Six Flags says, I think, that they could operate and do okay-ish at 50% occupancy levels. I don't know if I believe that, but that's evidently what they're saying. If we get something even close to 50% occupancy levels on amusement parks, because remember this, they are outside, okay? Mm -hmm. And while, me, Dave, me and you and Jordan, we're not going to go to amusement parks because we're kind of more on the cautious side. There are a lot of people, a lot of them in our friend network, in our neighborhood, like a ton of people that have no issues going out and kind of living life this summer um, to their full capacity. And yeah. I think there's a chance that these amusement parks will be half full this summer. And if that happens and a second wave hits in a fall, guess, guess what? These amusement parks, they don't really do a lot of business in the winter anyway. No, so exactly. they made hay during the summer when it was okay. And then hopefully the next summer when they can make hay again, it drops back down. Yes, right? So, so, so like I'm not – really focused on the amusement park sector yeah. uh, as one that I would heavily short in a second wave scenario. I mean, granted, the stocks will probably come down, um, but probably not to the extent that some of the others will, because I think institutional money uh, will be there to save them. So what happens is, like, the retail market and the market at large would be like, sell the amusement parks, the second wave is coming. But then what happens is these, these amusement parks will go to institutional lenders and they'll be like, hey, we actually had an okay summer. We didn't burn through that much cash because we're at 50% occupancy. And, and we don't really do much money in the winter. And it looks like we're probably, chances are, we'll have a vaccine by the spring or late spring 2021. We're going to make a case that we're going to survive this. And when we do come out, we are going to kill it. So if you would just lend us a few billion dollars just to kind of shore up our balance sheet to make sure that we're fine going into the spring of next year at a reduced share price, you know, with warrants and all this stuff. I mean, I think there are a lot of lenders out there because there's so much money. Remember, there's so much money being injected into the economy and into financials right now that I think there will be lenders to save the day for this, the Cedar Fairs of the world, for the Six Flags of the world, because this is a, such a, even if we get a second wave, I think it's still viewed probably as a short term problem, not a well, long Well, here's the other thing people aren't doing anything else, right? You're not allowed to travel internationally. You're not really going to jump on a plane to go somewhere else. But if you happen to have one of these parks, you know, in the metro area that you live in, I mean, that's, I, that's I your, think that that's what you're going to do. Yeah, people will be looking for outdoor activities where you can try to distance. And, you know, we saw Disney opened their parks in which uh, China, China. So that I mean, and they're starting at like 30 percent capacity. They'll they'll get to 50 percent if, if they can get to 80 percent and not see a second wave or a giant, you know, change in the health situation. The parks may be the outdoor activity that people are looking for. Shut down the, the restaurants that are inside the park or, or remove half the tables or more. But, you know, that, that could actually be something I hadn't really even thought about that as, as being a yep. 
a sought after activity as people have been locked up in their houses for so long and they want to get out and do something. Just for myself, I don't see it because think about how crowded those like winding lines are, right? You're just winding. I don't like see each person like seven times. Yeah, I don't like anything so. about it, but I can see the enthusiasm in our in our group text with the three of us and some other people. The enthusiasm for people to get out and do something is very high right now. Yeah, yeah. And somebody I'm, just said uh, 2020 is the year of the road trip, and I kind of agree. We've been thinking about. You know, getting out of the house, maybe going and renting a place um, yeah. in Austin. Um, when we get there, just go nuts with the Clorox, and uh, but then we're by ourselves <laughs> again, right? And there's what? no. Uh, yeah, and I no haven't issue. booked anything, but I know Chris. I know you've booked uh, a summer drive trip to Florida just in case with with insurance to uh, get out of it if you decide not to go. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll do something. You know, later, late, late in the summer. Um, it's, it's it's definitely definitely possible. Um. Yeah, man. Listen, you're not going to go bowling, right? I mean, if you, people are looking for things to do, I think the outdoor amusement parks could be the net winners this summer. So I'm not, like I said, second wave short plays. I'm not really including them that much. Although, yeah. listen, they're, they're at risk. They're certainly at risk. But I think if you go a le- level deeper on research, they might be better off than some of these other other picks. Um, guys, can I let's talk about something uh, that I think uh, is more at risk. Okay. Uh, and that's in a second wave scenario and that's apparel retailers, especially the ones that are focused on brick and mortar sales. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have been some of the weakest trades, uh, in the first wave. Right. Have you seen uh, some I, of the stats that have come out and like people are buying shirts, but they're not buying pants right now. You know, do you remember? Uh, yes. <laughs> so I texted you guys the other day just for fun. It wasn't about investing or anything. I, I texted Varsity. Varsity is kind of our, 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 our friend group of ours. Uh, and I texted you a picture of that retail store of yeah. Allen Edmonds. And I said, man, is there any worse business to be in than to be selling formal shoes at a brick and mortar shoe store. And oh, yeah, you sent a picture of Alan Edmonds. Yeah, and so I, I always, I always kind of, you know, originally my, my, you know, my, my history in, in investing is all about observational awareness. For those that know me, for those of y'all that read the book, Laughing at Wall Street, uh, it's all about uh, observational awareness. And I, I got home and I was like, how did, why did I send that text and not even research Alan Edmonds to see if they're a publicly traded company, like? What's wrong with me? Have I lost? Have I lost it? And I, I googled them, and sure enough, uh, they are part of a publicly traded company called Calaris. Calaris uh, is it, it's C A L is the ticker symbol, and they are not only a publicly traded company, uh, but they are maybe the worst performing retailer out of all the retailers through this whole this whole virus event, right? That happened this year. And I just kick myself for not researching this earlier. And ha- you remember when I, you know, as for those of y'all that have been watching the show, uh, we started shorting stocks heavily in late February. It was the biggest trade in 32 years for us, shorting casino companies, hotel companies, all the above. I wish I would have been shorting Calaris because they got destroyed. 25 bucks a share down to like $5 a share. Oh, there's the text I sent you guys. Yeah. So they actually, their largest holding is not Allen Edmonds. Their largest holding is I would call Famous Footwear. 
Uh, but if you look at all of their holdings, not that they don't have any e-commerce, but they're generally not e-commerce style stores. Uh, they're most they're very brick and mortar ish. This company, and it has potentially become one of my favorite second wave shorts. Uh, this is the company that I know they've come down a lot, but if we get a second wave. They're done. I think they're done. They're done to like 2021. No one's no one is looking to buy shoes, right? I mean, <laughs> how much? How, how, you just don't need shoes, right? Right. Yeah. No one's going into an office. No one's going to a business meeting. They're doing everything via Zoom, and you're not going to be doing it until next year. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, a bad, it's a bad situation. So, and by the way, one thing I wanted, I do want to say, um, you know, our next episode is all going to be about. Uh, I can't wait for our next episode, by the way. Our next episode is all about uh, vaccine trades. And by the way, that could happen a lot quicker than you even imagine. And we'll talk about in the next show. Yeah. And we're not talking about the the drug companies investing in drug companies that we think are going to have a vaccine. But it is what happens as soon as one of them, it doesn't matter which one, has big news on a vaccine. What are we going to do with our portfolios then? We're going to shift from this, this second wave to the next hurrah yeah if, if, if you if you regret missing our shows in late february when we were the only people on youtube anywhere on tv that were were like screaming to short the market uh that we put the short trade of the century on if you regret missing those shows um don't miss this next one because i actually think the vaccine trade could be the most interesting trade since the start of all this and i am laser focused on the vaccine trade and i can't wait to talk about what our strategy is uh next next week uh when we have that episode and by the way guys we're not financial analysts uh, we're not financial advisors we kind of are financial analysts we're not financial we're not, advisors yeah. don't don't we have no we, no we're not we accredited here. we have well we're accredited we're just not <laughs> what am i trying to say we, we don't we don't know what we're talking about so don't take our advice yeah, but no, we do know what we're is, talking about, about, so we do it for ourselves. This is sharing our trades, and so you can learn how we think and how we strategize, and hopefully you can start to apply some of that same strategy into your own analysis. Uh, but do not mirror our trades. Our risk tolerance is very different than yours, okay? This is but for entertainment and educational purposes only. What are going to? What do you think the next J. Crew bankruptcy, Neyman Marcus bankruptcy, J.C. Penney, what, what is the next uh, terrible brick-and-mortar retailer that's going to have a terrible time uh, transitioning to online. Macy's. It could be Calaris. It could Calaris. be Calaris, Dave, because, like, honestly, they are they are a shoe retailer, right? And they're a collection of, like, all these di- – they have, like, eight or nine different shoe retailers. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah. That's why I thought it was so off my radar, right? And But the other one I think that could be the big one to go – that I am, I, I was shorting. I got to see if I'm still shorting them. Is the gap right? So everybody knows the gap. Uh, the gap has been a, one of the weakest uh, apparel retailers uh, that has yet to go bankrupt. And let me just see if I'm still shorting them here, so I can be accurate. Uh, I am no, I am not shorting them at this very moment, but I've been shorting them on and off. And these I guys own. I, uh, they own. Um... Uh, Banana Republic and uh, in the Old Navy. What Old other Navy, is that? Yeah. They also an Athleta or Athletica. Or oh, that's right, Athleta. Yeah, which is one of their stronger brands. It's probably going to be doing okay right now. 
Uh, yeah, that 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 division's doing okay, but they're not they're not really doing okay. Um, yeah. So the gap, as you can see, never really recovered. They are weak, um, and that the, listen the gap and this new find Calaris are my two kind of primary uh, apparel retailer brick and mortar short candidates that are weak and likely to get a lot weaker. Uh, in a second wave scenario, um, you know, so and now I'm seeing Danny H, Levi's strong brand that ain't going nowhere. Yeah, exactly. There are other brick and mortar brands like Levi's that are coming off an IPO. They have a lot of money. They're pretty strong, um, by the way. So like, I'm not I'm not focused on the Levi's of the world. I'm sure there are other there are other brick and mortar retailers that are at risk as well uh, in yeah. apparel. But the gap is certainly one of them, and I think Calaris is certainly another one. But as Tim White points out, that the gap is one of the brands that does have a better e-commerce outlook. You know, if you if if you don't need to go to the store to try it on, if you know what size jeans you are in Gap, you can continue to buy their products. So it's it's probably not as pure play as the brick and mortar shoe store that uh, dress apparel, men's footwear, uh, you know, the other ones that went out of business in the past, like didn't pay less go out of business. Yeah, overall, people are buying less clothes. I mean, you're not, you don't need a bunch of stuff. I mean, I've worn basketball shorts and a t-shirt for the past two months now. But I've actually seen some uh, some data that shows that that apparel sales haven't actually been hurt as bad as people were expecting. I think it's it's more segmented. I think it is maybe shoe and you know you, what's happened with uh, uh, did, did we see like uh, Adidas had some bad news or was they're it Nike? all doing pretty? I mean, they're all doing pretty bad. Have you have you read that article on the revenge buying like? That rich people are doing like a revenge purchasing of like expensive items, and that was going to fuel. <laughs> like I don't, I'm not buying that. So there are there's some other trades like Canada Goose. Um, there, you know, these are companies that you know there are luxury retailers, right? That I think would also get harmed in a second wave. But the ones I'm focused on are the ones with weak balance sheets. The gap is a weak balance sheet, right? Uh, Calaris is, is certainly one that would be at risk as well. Um, Columbia Sportswear, I think someone mentioned in the comments here. The reason why I'm not shorting Columbia Sportswear is Columbia Sportswear does a lot of international business. They do a tremendous amount of business now in China. And if China you know, happens to be better uh, at controlling this and has a reasonable end of the year in early 2021 and they don't have a second wave at least columbia sportswear can maintain sales uh you know in places like china whereas i'm not sure if the gap has that type of diversification uh that a company like columbia sportswear has so columbia has uh, all the outdoor the uh that sunwear stuff the pfg that people love that uh you know people are still gonna be going outside so maybe that stuff still does okay online yeah, so someone also mentioned Under Armour. Um, Under Armour is, <laughs> I have one of my favorite companies to trade back in the day. Uh, we were very early on uh, trading Under Armour back in the day when it was climbing to all-time highs. Uh, and we were also pretty big on shorting Under Armour uh, during the collapse. And Under Armour is, is probably an at-risk company. And they actually have spent 
uh, considerable resources the last few years developing kind of this specialized brick and mortar uh, strategy. So Under Armour has now these very expensive brick and mortar stores around the world uh, that certainly aren't doing much business right now. So Under Armour could be at risk. Well, I haven't I didn't do research on Under Armour this week uh, for this episode, but certainly that's one. Thanks for mentioning them in, in our comments. Uh, that's one that I would also potentially put in that bucket of weak companies that are likely to get a lot weaker and probably not able to raise funding the way that a Nike or an Adidas can go to capital markets. Remember, in a situation like this, it's all about one's ability to strengthen the balance sheet. If you're a private equity firm or you're a hedge fund, are you looking to inject billions of dollars into an Under Armour or billions of dollars into a Nike or an Adidas where, where you know the second we get out of this, those companies are going to snap back. Under Armour was having massive issues before this, right? Yeah, Under so, Armour tried to get into women's and it didn't work. They tried to get into shoes and it didn't work. Um, they just have yeah, we talk, we talk about the three the three legs to Under Armour's stool yeah. uh, for, their, for their future, which they failed at. One was international growth. Um, another was uh, women's uh, women's clothes, and the third leg to that stool was shoes. Yeah. So, ready for this? Under Armour massively failed at women's and massively failed at shoes. Yeah. Um, and you know, international is still kind of to be determined for them. But so far, they're not exactly flourishing internationally. So, Under Armour failed at all three of the above. Now. Let's talk about my – we're not supposed to be talking about this in this episode, but I have to talk about it. My favorite brick-and-mortar retailer for apparel, which also has a three-legged stool that is crushing it, uh, is Lululemon. You know I bought more Lululemon today? I Did, bought you? More Did you buy more? Lululemon today. Oh, man, I'm I bought more. I love them so okay? much. Okay, because Lululemon has come down, and I added to my Lululemon today – uh, the three legs to Lululemon stool. Let me see if I can remember here. Un, you know, for Under Armour, it was women's. Yeah. For Lululemon, it's men's. They have to transition from women's to men's. Okay. Um, another leg to the Lululemon stool is international, similar to Under Armour. And so far, uh, they're just getting started with it. The international looks really good for Lululemon. Uh, the third leg to the stool, I think, was e-commerce, where they are totally totally crushing it um so lululemon man like i i I am you know i'm all about picking that as my winner um i would definitely not be shorting them in a second wave i'd probably be adding in a second wave they will fall some and i'd probably add another drop i will add as well i love that brand yeah yeah love love lulu anyway we may get uh, that that drop here just just they'll get pulled down with the rest of the market um as uh, you know, we, we've seen the last few days, we've had uh, a down market. It's it's up a little bit today, but uh, almost even for the day. Dow, it, Dow is even. Yep. So, um, all right, guys. So, listen, I think we got some good ones. Do, anything else you could think of that would be interesting in apparel? I think, you know. Well, I did see um, not exactly apparel, uh, but if you if you talk about malls going out of business and shutting down or having less traffic, is Simon Property something to consider? Gosh, I spent so much time 
trying to answer that question this week in my research, and I just can't seem to figure it out, right? It's like... Well, those guys are doubling down right now. I mean, they're crazy. They are. They're doubling down. And the thing is this, like, there's so much money in the private market to support assignment, you know, to support these guys because they just think it's temporary and they're going to come out of it. And when they come out of it, they'll start generating cash again and people go back to the malls. Man, I, I don't know. They're down so much. Like, they're down a lot. Could they come down more in a second wave? Absolutely. And they probably will. And it's probably a reasonably good short candidate if you want to put together a basket of second wave shorts, um, you know, short trades. But, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm staying away from that because it, it, it's cru- it's gotten crushed so much yeah. that now there's a lot of people looking at this and trying to assess what is a floor. You know, what what is a floor for Simon property actually actually look like? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what I, I'm thinking about a lot of these companies. They have gone down so much that it uh, shorting them outright just doesn't seem like the, the best idea. And so, so Dave, it, it's about it being selective. Works if you think they can go bankrupt. Right. So it, it only works if you think that 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 they're they are so weak that they can't survive a second wave. And we've seen we've seen people, companies go bankrupt that continue to operate and that their stock doesn't actually go to zero. So it's it's not like that is the winning situation, right? Well, no. Well, I mean, their stock might not go to zero, but certainly a stock that's going into bankruptcy more often than not, it's going to be a lot lower than it is today for a lot of these companies. And unlike in a normal bankruptcy situation, we have seen companies go bankrupt. Like I said, their stocks don't go to zero. Because they're the only one going bankrupt, and there's like half a dozen companies in their industry sector that are chomping at the bits to acquire them out of bankruptcy, right? And so they're bidding against each other to get this company out of bankruptcy, and that's what's supporting the equity price. No, There's no money out there for people to be doing that with today, right? So, So I think if you have this string of bankruptcies, I think the bankruptcies look very different today than they have in the past. And I think you're going to see a lot of these companies get zeroed out in terms of equity value. Um, then again, I could be wrong. I mean, Amazon was rumored to be bought. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. AMC. We'll talk about movie theaters in a bit. <laughs> but yeah, Amazon's talking about buying AMC. And what if uh, Netflix is like, wait a second, Amazon? I, we want AMC. And then like Apple's like, but we want it for our movie division. And now all of a sudden you have... What a crazy world it would be if there was a bidding war for something that I think we all could assume is going to eventually stop existing as a medium, right? The the actual go-to-a-theater model. If all of these tech companies that are also content creators that need a venue to screen their things just to get qualified for Academy Awards start bidding up and buying an AMC, it, it, it makes no sense to me. But that's that's how you get to the scenario that you keep talking about, Dave, where they can go bankrupt and the stock might be somewhat similar to where it was before it went bankrupt. Right. I mean, that that's a scenario where that could happen. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. It could theoretically. But I think in a lot of these situations, it's not going to happen. And uh, if a second wave happens and we get bankruptcies, I think they'll most likely end up with zero stock prices or something pretty, pretty close to zero. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we've talked about this so much over the past couple months. It's been one of our biggest trades, so I don't want to, I don't want to like go too deep into it. But casinos, okay, yeah, uh, we rode win all the way down from the low one hundreds down to 
50, 60, 40. Uh, then we've started riding it up in the 40s or 50s, back up to the 70s uh, and to where it is today. I don't know if it's at 70, 80 right now, today. Um, okay, if we get a second wave, what do we do? Like, I still have Win. Uh, I have, I still have a bunch of shares of Win. Um, you know, I think Win and LVS, uh, Las Vegas Sands, are pretty much the same company and they're in the same boat. Uh, Win is more levered than LVS, but those two kind of trade in sync. What do you think? I mean, what do you guys think? In a second wave, let's repeat why we own Win first of all. Well, look, we I mean, it really it depends because... on where the second wave is, right? If the second wave is in the United States, maybe down a little there bit. But if yeah. it's in Asia, then yeah, for sure, you short the you short the casinos. Yeah. So so here's the thing about Win. First of all, LVS has a pr- pretty strong balance sheet as is. Yeah. Win is weaker technically when it comes to cash, but Win owns their properties in Vegas and in Boston. And if they were to sell those properties and start to do a leaseback deal, they could generate somewhere between three and five and a half billion dollars of cash overnight. So Win and LVS are more than likely, in our opinion, not going anywhere. They're not going out of business in the next 12 to 15 months, uh, even if we get a second wave. And if the second wave happens in North America, I don't think they're going to be impacted that much because hopefully if it doesn't happen in China, uh, their Macau properties and their Singapore properties for LVS will start to accelerate in terms of traffic. And you know what? I think this is not an area where I'm going to be shorting heavily in a second wave. And if I were going to short it, I think maybe you focus more on like a Penn National or an MGM that are more focused on U.S. Uh, U.S. properties. Uh, also, you know, Harris was just acquired by that other uh, casino company, uh, hotel company. So, you know, maybe focus on the ones that are focused on uh, North America, not the big two in LVS and Wynn that have, you know, generate 70 to 80 percent of their income from Macau and Singapore. Yeah. And same. I'm in the same boat. I, I'm Long win right now, and would look to short the U.S.-based casinos. Yeah. So um, why don't we talk about something that you don't like to even touch, and that is the banks, right? Because if, uh, if we get a second wave, it pretty much ensures a bunch of small business bankruptcies. I've been reading some articles about CLOs, which are collateralized loan obligations, um, that basically package up all these like, you know, kind of junk debt into this product that has uh, like a triple B rating. They turn it into this thing that banks can then invest in. It could blow up on them. You're, these guys, you know, all of a sudden their loan loss provisions could spike right up um, and they could fall all over again. Um, possibly. Uh, that you, you sound like Michael Burry now from the big short. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know anything about that. And yeah. you could be totally right. It's not an area that I will focus on because I feel like it's really hard to fully understand the real risk there. And it's also, when it comes to banks, really difficult to assess the degree that government is going to backstop those banks. So, I don't know, man. I just like that's why I hate. You know, that's why I hate. That's yeah. a good, I, that's I a stay really away from that too, just just because of that. Let you know Wells Fargo go out of business. 
Well, not even that. It's just like they almost like incentivize each other to to like if one gets in trouble, they'll incentivize another bank to acquire that bank. And then that the one bank goes under, you know, but then the other bank like comes out on top. And how do you know you're shorting the right bank? And I feel like this is an area where. You know, yeah, I mean, look, like you do you just do a you do a sector short on that one. XLF, you just put a short on. You write it out, see what see, happens. For, yeah, I'm I, not saying it's wrong at all. It, it might be, it's not my area of expertise, and you know, I don't know. I think I think it's yeah. I think it's it's fascinating uh, because you never know what's going on the way those they structure those package those types of uh, deals. And but the problem, Jordan, is sometimes those things never blow up because it takes so long for them to blow up that by the time people realize that is really bad debt, we could be out of this, right? So like yeah. they could have. You remember in the Big Short, uh, how long? Well, not the movie, but the book. How long they were able to delay? Oh yeah. The, even even writing mm-hmm. down those th- those. Those well, the, packages, yes, yeah, so these CLOs basically they're bought um, or they're packaged in tranches to where like the least risky payments are up front, and then it's on and on and on more risk, more risk, more risk, and then there's an equity portion also, and then that equity portion is the riskiest, yeah, um, and that's the most delayed. So yeah, yeah I mean, so, you're right. I mean, these these things could take a long time to blow up. Um, so we might, we might not even know about it for a year. I think it's more of a complex trade that has other yeah. risk elements to it, and that's why I'll probably stay away from it because I yeah. feel like there's so many obvious ones that are just very black and white, the ones we're talking about. And by the way, I, I did see some comments about there is a second wave happening in Singapore right now. There is yeah. a second wave happening in China right now. I've seen some of that. Uh, if it really turns out to be a true second wave in Singapore, in Macau, in China— uh, by the way, that is a scenario where there is a huge opportunity to short, uh, you know, win an LVS. If they truly are going to get a second wave that's going to shut down Macau for another eight or nine or ten months, um, that would be an interesting Chinese second wave uh, trade yeah. on win and Las Vegas Sands. Now, so thank, re- thanks for those comments, guys. Really good question from Cam here. What do you think is the indicator for a second wave? What What are those things that we're looking for that will be the, the tipping point for us to want to make one of these, pull the trigger for a second wave investment? Yeah, that's a great question. Jo- I know Jordan's looking at this stuff closely. Now I am starting to as well. Jordan's like, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff every single day. I'm Wait, I'm sorry. I was miles away. What was the question? <laughs> no. Uh, what are the indicators for a second wave? Um, so I think what's really important, what we've done from the very beginning is it, uh, do not we do not read any type of published news. Right. It's not about reading a CNN story or a Fox News story or any of that stuff. It's just you've got to look at the raw, raw data. Right. Yeah, sure. And right now it's regionalized. Right. And so you see some pockets regionalized that you know aren't decelerating the same way that you see places that are in extreme lockdown decelerating um dallas texas for one um we're looking like we're at a peak we're uh we jumped up in the last what week or so um, but, but we're but kind of plateauing though George. We're yeah kind of plateauing. it's early but yeah yeah it's early but so dallas is a great where we live is a great example i think where dallas goes is likely to be 
uh, a great indicator of where the country goes. Same thing with Georgia, right? So yeah. uh, we were two of the first to come out of this. And I think I'm closely watching, and you you can't make a decision on one day's data. No, you you're right. That's on- what's concerning, though, is that we started to come out of the full lockdown right around when these numbers did look to plateau. And so, what's gonna what's what's it gonna look like in a week? And I think that's where, you know, we, we need to keep an eye on it. We 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 always said like you know, there's an article came out called or a tweet a tweet uh, string called the 30 days of bliss, and May yeah. May was going to be 30 days of bliss, 30 days. When we start to come out of this, when everyone is happy and we're just going to assume that things are going to be okay, and they might be okay, but we probably won't know for a full 30 days. But I think as we get closer to the end of May, we can start to look at the – you can look on a state-by-state, city-by-city level. You can see the numbers, and if you start to see the numbers, instead of plateauing to slightly decelerating and coming down, if they start to move back up in any real meaningful fashion – over what I would call, Jordan, would you agree, like a two to five day period uh, of actually acceleration? If I start to see a two to three or four day period of acceleration in Dallas, Texas or Texas or Georgia, um, or, yeah. that that is my first indicator of, whoa, what's going on here? We're actually seeing a real meaningful multi-day acceleration in, trans- in, in positive result, positive rates. And then the other thing you want to make sure is that because we're you're testing more, or is it because you're actually getting more positives? And one way to look at that is the what do they call this, Jordan? The percentage of positive uh, uh, results. So it's like every state is reporting not just how many positives they have, uh, but also but, the number of tests, the number of tests, and then the percentage. Of that, yeah, I wish I had that on my site. I need to see if I can get those numbers. If you could add that, Jordan, that McC- Jordan has his own website, jordanmcclain.com, where he actually you can chart all of these cities. It's super cool visuals, uh, and he just did that for for us and for you guys. Um, so go to jordanmcclain.com if you can compare like down to a very granular level of a county and compare it to to the country, um, and you can kind of see these visuals, uh, but. Listen, that's what I'm looking for. And also, uh, at a more granular level, in terms of qualitative data, not quantitative, uh, when you start, when people start talking about uh, hospital admission rates, like a lot of nurses are on Twitter and they'll freely talk about trans- about hospital admission rates. If you start to see that going up, some people are reporting that as well. Like we're reporting that in Texas, aren't we? Our hospital like beds, how many beds are being taken up right now? I think that is. Yeah. Da- I've seen that data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, guys, it's not hard to, to to look at this data. You could probably spend twenty minutes a day just looking at this data and getting a really good sense of where we are in terms of risk of a second wave. And just do not read top, like. Do not read published articles, which always have they always have an agenda, right? Just look at the actual hard data. It's very simple to understand. And um, back to back to Jordan's uh, point earlier about the bank stocks um, or banking in general. I I'm not I'm staying away from the big ones, you know, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan. But do you know what I really like? is the online only banks and you know paypal and square are some examples of companies that are just like 
that's I think the future and all yeah, of the real estate PayPal. and visiting a branch and all of the things that that Chris loves to do with his Wells Fargo account. That makes no sense to me. It's all online. Yeah. Are you in Are you in Square, guys? I'm in I'm in PayPal. I need to get into Square. I um, have been I in the past. I've I don't think I am Square. right now. Yeah, yeah I, I've been in Square. Yeah, I mean that that goes to that's all. That's another episode, Dave. That's our winners and losers episode from last week. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, listen, it's all about picking winners and losers. Uh, certainly we've picked, you know, Square sits on the winner side and so does PayPal of this whole transition. But guys, there's obviously big winners that come out regardless of whether there's a second wave or not. And there's losers regardless of whether there's a second wave or not. For sure. Um, if you haven't seen our winners and losers episode, check it out because it's awesome. We get really granular in terms of none of this really matters whether we have a second wave because regardless, there are going to be companies that are going to flourish through this and companies are going to come out terrible at the end of the day. Yeah, so if you haven't watched that, watch that. If you haven't subscribed, be sure you subscribe. We have uh, we have so much going on, so many episodes. I just made this new graphic for this uh, new platform. I'm just, just dying to use it. But make sure you turn on the bell notifications because we do tend to do these live episodes at odd times. We try to do them Tuesdays and Thursdays. But if there's breaking news or if there's some investment that we're excited about, we, we're going to do it. And uh, also, thank you guys for smashing the like button. I got, I got both of my graphics installed. So <laughs> thumbs like, up. Thumbs up, please. Hey, by, oh, by the way, one. we haven't talked about, can I get a little bit of a good job on Logitech, right? Yes, killed it on Logitech. you absolutely killed it on Logitech. If you guys missed the uh, Logitech earnings and the call there, let's just pull up this Logitech chart and get rid of the uh, other graphics. Um, look at that. That is that is what happened. Can I tell you how nervous I was not just to make that call, but to invest in that and then have an episode on it because... You know that when I have a big win, when we get a big win like Peloton, Peloton was the, maybe the biggest win in decades ever, right? More often than not, the next pick is a loser because, you know, I kind of let my guard down and get overconfident. And, you know, we get overconfident in our ability to do analysis and was really nervous about uh, that Logitech trade. But, man, it, it, it worked out. It worked out really well. Not as well as... Peloton, but it was it was a nice trade. I ended up those options, the the forty five dollar strike I, options that I bought for I think around five five to six dollars, almost six dollars a piece. Um, I sold them between six and nine dollars a piece. It was about a forty five percent, forty forty five percent return yeah. on the options, and I kept most of my Logitech stock. You're I keeping the stock because you you timed your option exit perfectly because I got about twenty percent because I sold them very early the next day that you held a lot of yours. You know, and I've been getting questions, and I want to address this right now uh, because I get a lot of questions. When do you exit a trade like that? You know, how do you know the timing? And I always say we exit the trade on information dissemination. So as soon as the information is dis fully disseminated uh, to the rest of the world, the information that we believed in, which was in this trade, that the, the information was primarily that Logitech, uh, this is going to fuel uh, not just their hardware sales for consumers, but their institution, their enterprise level sales to companies that were going to expand their their video conferencing ability into smaller conference rooms. Um, here's the thing. 
I did not fully exit that trade on earnings because I felt like the information wasn't fully disseminated until we got at least one or two big analyst upgrades, which I knew based on the conference call were going to happen. So I held like 50% of those options until we got the first analyst upgrade, which was I think yesterday morning. And when we got that, we saw that $2 pop in the, in the stock price. And that's when I exited right about nine bucks, those $45 call options. Um, so a lot of times, if I don't feel we get dissemination on earnings, I'll kind of hold off a day or two until the analyst upgrades start to come in, uh, which is what I did for Logitech. It was, it was upgrades. And, and you also knew that the CEO of Logitech was going to uh, appear on CNBC, which often can have the, you know, the positive effect from retail investors. True. Very and true. So, we just you know, sure it all just, gets just kind disseminated, of, right? Exactly. As, as the Logitech story unfolded, there, there were only, and we tuned into the conference call that was like at seven in the morning, six in the morning. Uh, there were only like 150 people watching it. They, they actually streamed it on YouTube because they're now a webcam focused company. And that was a great use of their own technology. But, um, there, were, there was nobody watching it. We had more viewers on our Logitech episode than Logitech did on their analyst call, which is amazing, by the way. I love that. But um, we, we probably should have we should have broadcast that because more people would have seen it. But, <laughs> but I, you know, I feel like the, the news wasn't fully di- you know disseminated at that point and that it really did take appearing on CNBC for everyone to go, aha, Logitech. I didn't I didn't think about that as as, you know, having a good impact. And so. We did see the stock go up the next day. And Dave, part of that is because it's a foreign company, right? It's like yeah. the Swiss or Swedish. I should not combine those. No, two it's Swiss and Swiss. it's Swiss. And they also have a headquarters in uh, California, I think. Cal- California, Colorado. I can't, it starts with a C. I'm, I, I have no idea. But a lot of times these foreign companies really don't get right the exposure um the institutional exposure here in america yeah um they're listed on both anyway. uh, exchanges that, and it's not one of those adrs it's an actual uh, i think nasdaq uh stock they also yes. trade on the swiss exchange under a different ticker yes um oh we, we still have a bunch to talk about so let's we, we got we got we got cat we got what time is it category uh <laughs> we're now all right so cruise uh, this is our favorite right um uh, oh, cruisers gonna, gonna cruise, cruise, right? If you haven't gotten your dumb money cruisers gonna cruise shirt, go to our dumb money shop. What is the shop, Dave? It is uh, dumbmoney.tv slash merch. Yeah, uh, cruisers gonna cruise. Uh, listen, okay, second wave happens. Obviously, we own Royal Caribbean. Uh, you know, that's the cruisers gonna cruise call, right? Uh, and I still, still believe that cruisers are gonna cruise. Uh, no matter what, they're going to come back. But the question is, can the cruise companies survive until then? Um, by the way, our vaccine episode that's coming up, I cannot wait to talk because, gosh, the cruise trade is going to be such a big part of that. But in a second wave situation, are we still standing behind our <laughs> our cruise or do we short the cruise companies in a, in a second wave uh, if a second wave happens this fall? I have to say that... Second wave is not positive for cruising, right? You're right. Second wave is not positive for cruising, but I don't. I think the damage has been done to the cruise lines, much like the airlines, in my opinion. Um, I, I just don't think that they're going to do that much worse. They, you know, they already are expecting 
Uh, I, I heard Norwegian come out and say, we're expecting, and we have the cash now, to go 18 months with zero revenue. Zero customers, yeah. zero revenue, continuing to maintain and, and do whatever they need to do to these giant floating cities. But that, to me, is like, okay, they've, they've seen the bottom. And at some point, cruisers are going to cruise. And so it's it's more of a wait for the wait for them to come back, not... Uh, you know, a second wave is going to keep them out of the water for more than 18 months, right? Yeah, that, that well, that's why we love the cruisers going to cruise trade. Um, I, I, I would love to buy more cruise uh, stock lower. Uh, I probably won't be aggressively shorting it in a second wave because of exactly what you just said, Dave. I think, I think now they have access to capital based on the financing that Carnival has done. Uh, Royal Caribbean is considering something similar. Uh, you know, you've heard Norwegian. I think they can pull together the capital to survive to 2021, call it spring 2021. And yeah, I, it, it's not a big short candidate for me if we get a second wave, unless the second wave is brutal. I listen, the cruise stocks are going to come down. They're going to come down. But I think there are probably better trades for me here than shorting the cruise stocks in a second wave because i think anticipation is no one's cruising anyway even without a second wave the market kind of assumes that no one's cruising until we get a vaccine right exactly so so the trade isn't as strong um but you know where the trade is strong uh restaurants and restaurant suppliers and this is one i definitely definitely want to talk about uh we've talked about this a lot this is the one area that I am shorting stocks even without a second wave, and I'm continuing to short stocks. I still have my Cheesecake Factory short. I still have my Ruth Chris short on. I still have and have gone in deeper on my Dave and Buster's short. And in fact, last night, I spent a lot of time just reading probably a thousand tweets with the word Dave and Buster's in it just to make sure I wasn't crazy and people weren't excited to go back into Dave and Buster's right now <laughs> when they're starting to reopen. I'm like, cause you know, listen, what if I'm wrong? What, you know, I, what if I'm wrong and like people pile into Dave and Buster's, I could be wrong. I just can't imagine. Could you imagine a worse place to be than to go in and you touch everything that other people are touching? You're in crowds waiting to want to play a video game. Yeah, there's no there's no distance version of that. Like even if you're wearing gloves and touching yeah. video like you, have to, you then have yeah. to change your gloves every 10 minutes so you don't touch you your face. Clorox wipes and you wear a mask the whole okay. time. Just no. But but here's the thing, we don't have to imagine. That's the great thing because we Dave and Buster's started right here in Dallas, Texas, and we have probably one of the strongest Dave and Buster communities here people that love dave and busters and chris and i was telling you this the other day i want you to put on your full clean suit your mask your hazmat your breather and take a video camera take an iphone into dave and busters and i i literally want you to go in and just film are there people playing the games are there people sitting in tables how far apart are their tables have they have what changes have they made because that is the kind of visibility that I would love to know to make sure that my Dave and Buster's short is still a good thing. Well, let me tell you, Dave. I Did you do it? You because I didn't do it, but I didn't need to because I read 
a tweet last night <laughs> of a mom that actually went into a Dave and Buster's no this week way. that had reopened. Are they even open? Evidently, unless this lady was crazy lying, she said they were open and she went in. I guess they're open somewhere. So they must have opened one of them. And she said that they were doing a terrible job and she was disgusted. She said they didn't wipe down anything. She said there were no there were no cleansing wipes there. She said there was nothing and that just so totally sounds like Dave and Buster's to me. <laughs> Dave and Buster's, it, it's my kid's favorite place. They are obsessed with Dave and Buster's. I have spent so much money there that I totally understand why they are the multi-billion dollar company that they are because for being just a stupid restaurant that we can get coins for stupid trinkets, like it is a ripoff. We literally spend a, over $150 every time we go to Dave and Buster's. It's like going to Disneyland, okay? It's ridiculous. But I will go to Dave and Buster's. I will not go anywhere near the front door, but I will sit in that parking lot and I will do this trip every single day here in Dallas. I got to see if they're open yet. I don't think they open yet. Um, but I will do the Dave and Buster's trip. I will sit there. I will go there at night. I will go there on Friday night. And I will see for myself whether people are going back to Dave and Buster's. And based on that boots on the ground research that I'll be doing, I will either take off my Dave and Buster's short or I will increase it by a factor of 10. And that's yeah, I'll, going to I'll happen do the in same the next thing. Month. We've got we've got one two minutes from here. Um, you you've been to the shopping center. It's like right right down the road with the, the thirsty line. They we've got one, so I can go give you a second data point on Friday night. Yeah, yeah. I please do. And like if you're, if but you I I, have, I wonder how that compares to a baseline. Though, so do do we know that you know they normally have seven people an hour go in or 70 people an hour is your is your number just of a door count and trying to identify people and seeing how long they stayed in and that sort of thing Do, are we going to really no. have any good indication on whether that's good or bad estimate, you, you can tell if D something's a problem dave know? i'm not looking to split hairs here i'm only interested if this thing is completely empty or if this thing is completely packed right if it's something in the middle I'll probably just stay out out of the trade, right? Mm. So, like, here's a, here's like, a good it, comment. Why don't you just hire someone to film the interior? You know, do a do what uh, Mark Cuban did, and he he sent secret shoppers out all over Dallas and but I think I other cities. But I don't need to. All I need to know the Dave and Buster's each have their own parking lot. I can just literally look at the parking lot and tell you how many people are inside. I don't I don't need to see what they're doing inside Dave and I know what they're doing. They're doing Dave and Buster's stuff. Like I, I don't cool. Right. Right. It's like like I don't care if they're doing a good job at Dave and Buster's. All I care about is if people are going or not. And if they're going in mass, I'm going to sell my short position and probably go long. And if they're not going, I'm going to 10x my short position because, dude, they, I don't care that Jeffries gave him $100 million as a bridge loan. Uh, I, I think it's insane. Like, I think if we get a sec, if they're not doing well this summer and then we get a second wave going into the fall, David Busters is done, dude. They're done, man. And, like, I, I am happy to short them. I'm also happy to continue to short Ruth Chris. Because, yeah, man, I want my Mexican food, and Chewy's is doing like 50 60%, 70%. The Chewy's is killing it right now. But who needs to go to a steakhouse, like a corporate steakhouse, 
where people do expense dinners, like for like corporate that's, dinners, man. That's absolutely that's my favorite short is the Ruth Chris because you're right. That that's not a place you just casually go for a dinner. That's that is purely a place that you're going on an expense account. I did find and a picture from Ruth inside Chris of a Ruth Chris though, uh, and it looks like they do have a giant amount of space between tables. At least in this uh, example. Who does? This is Dave and Buster's. Oh, I can't see what you're seeing. Sorry. Yeah, so basically it's, it's, uh, it's some people who are in Dave and Buster's meeting up with friends, and it looks like they have a bunch of, bunch of space in between tables, but I can't... Tables? I'm looking, I'm looking for a picture of the tables? game. I'm trying to find game room pictures. Yeah, I can tell you the game room picture from my brain, because I've spent so much time there the last two years. It is chaos. It's chaos. It's games and kids running around. They're just like, ah, it is literally the worst place you could possibly be for any. Like, I don't even care if you think if you think this is like a hoax. You still don't go to Dave and Buster's right now. (laughs) Anyway, that said, let me tell you something. I am not the world and there are people that do crazy stuff. And so I'm not going to continue on with this trade based on what I think. I'm just going to see what people are doing. I'm going to go to Dave and Buster's. I'm going to sit in the parking lot for 20 minutes like I did at Five Below the other day. Oh, we didn't talk about Five Below. Five Below is another huge short candidate on the retail side, for me at least. Um, Five Below has virtually no e-commerce business. Five Below is a fun store you you go in to kill time with your kids and to buy junk. Um, And it's awesome. It's one of my favorite companies of all time. I think Five Below is genius. But now I like I sat in front of Five Below the other day for almost half an hour and I saw five people go in and out. I can't believe it was five people. It should have been zero. But they three of them wore face masks. And I was like, what? You're going to Five Below? I get going to Target, going to Walmart. Like that makes sense. Go to Kohl's. Go to like I get that. You're going to like go out of your way to go into a candy store that has like weird, fun, like merchandise for like it's just not like just doesn't make sense to me uh so five below is another short candidate of mine for a second wave because they're so reliant on brick and mortar so i forgot to say that earlier hey and the good news on uh, dave and busters is they do have hand sanitizer stations inside (laughs) (laughs) awesome this is their website um about their prioritizing uh health and safety and supporting healthcare responders by giving donations yeah but they, they, our local location is still closed, according to their website. So we'll be on the lookout for them to reopen. So, uh, you know, listen, that that's my restaurant trade. Oh, oh, there's also restaurant suppliers, by the way. I don't even have the names of the companies here, but there's a handful of companies that supply restaurants, whether it's equipment. Cisco supplies them with food. That's been a short of mine. I'm not shorting Cisco right now. Um, but I potentially would short Cisco again in a second wave scenario uh, because if, if restaurants, you know, start to close up again, it's not good for Cisco foods. Uh, like I said, I'm just sticking with the worst. Like, I don't need to short 15 different restaurant stocks. I feel pretty confident that if a second wave happens, that Dave and & Buster's and – uh, Ruth Chris and to a slightly lesser extent Cheesecake Factory are all screwed. So those are the three restaurants and maybe Cisco Foods uh, that I'll be shorting. 
those are my four those are my four restaurant related short stops. And that's coming from a guy that owns a restaurant who by the way, um we had a pretty good week. We should let our followers know that cuz like if you want real insight uh here in Dallas, Texas, Chelsea Corner, we had a surprisingly good weekend. I'm kind of blown away. We did I fact, I'm not surprised at all. I think people were so excited about getting out of the house and doing something and you know, what, what better to do than go to your uh, local restaurant that has a guy on YouTube tell, talking about how clean they are twice a week. <laughs> but you know what else, Dave? Because we're not we're kind of an anomaly at Chelsea Corner because we have such an insanely big patio. It's not even a patio. It's a backyard. Yeah. Like we have one of those crazy backyards with trees and all this stuff. So, like, if you're going to go to a restaurant, I think people have figured out that Chelsea Corner in Dallas, like – we're one of a handful of places you can go and be like eating in a park because our backyard is basically a park. Right. And so I think that's why we did so well. And then but like Monday night and Tuesday night, we did almost as much business that we do in normal times. And maybe that's because no one's working right now. So like Mondays or Saturdays. By the way, do you know I set up for this entire show yesterday? I, you know, I texted you. I was like, dude, you didn't send me the link. I literally spent half an hour setting up the show, and then you're like, dude, uh, it's Wednesday, Chris, not Thursday. <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's yeah. a good story. And by the way, we did uh, go ahead and, and log in and practice this, and then you take. The, I think the problem is you take all your stuff down and then you put it back up, and that's why your camera gets out of out of whack. And but at least no. your stream looks good now. I'm I'm proud of you. Thank you. And it's only getting better. I have my uh, Mac Mini on order, my superpower Mac Mini, and we're going to be starting in a couple weeks. I'm using my real camera. I'm going to look better than you, Dave. That's my goal. That's. I hope you do. Um, because. And by the way, your uh, your camera looks great today. Your your color looks good. All of a sudden, I did have to uh, manually color correct it. Here, here's what you well, look like without it. Thank, thanks this, for doing your this, best. This is, a, this is his normal look. <laughs> but luckily, I um, can do that and make you look human again. Think about how good I look. I didn't just crawl out of bed 15 minutes <laughs> for the show. <laughs> uh, and only because I'm up till 3 a.m. doing, doing research, this research for this show. I do, I do have so another, since we're got. talking about production right now, I do have another thing that I need you to buy in addition to that uh, $2,000 computer that we just just randomly decided to get you because it would improve your stream quality just a little bit more. I need you to, if you're going to keep using this uh, tri this uh, iPad as a tripod, I need you to get this attachment so that your camera doesn't keep bouncing around. Okay. Oh, you stacked on top of eight Laughing at Wall Street books right now, right? I, well, I know. It keeps it keeps bouncing. So. Every <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so can we move on to entertainment? I just want to talk about one company, at least. You guys can talk about more, but I want to talk about one company when it comes to entertainment. Absolutely. Which is uh, Live Nation. This is one that I just... I want it like this is one I want to talk about again a lot during our vaccine episode. But uh, Live Nation, if we get a second wave and the second wave looks to be pretty strong, it basically means no more Live Nation for like eight more months. And and while I think Live Nation is going to survive, okay, they're going to survive. Uh, there is no Live Nation in a second wave until the second wave is over. Like no one, there's no concerts. Okay, yeah. uh, there's none of that. So, I mean, Jordan, do you agree that if a second wave happens, you could pretty much cancel all concerts till till 
mid 2021 now, right? Unless we get a vaccine. Hundred percent. One hundred percent. So I think this is one of those companies that everyone's kind of excited to jump into once we get a vaccine. Yeah. But in the absence of a vaccine and a second wave, I'm pro- it's probably it's probably one I'm putting in my short basket. Okay. Because I yeah. think it could dip lower. I think it could retest it. Now, it might not test 25, but I think you could see this hit again a 25, 30% drop to, you know, 30 bucks a share, uh, you know, high 20s. No, I think the that's thing is, I mean, they've come out and said that they've got a lot of, uh, they've got a lot of funds, so they're not in danger of going out of business. Um, well, true. They're not in danger of going out of business, but it's going to really impact their balance sheet and it's going to start to look yeah. a lot weaker if they have to basically say no no more incoming inbound cash for eight months yeah when they own all those venues and they, they're levered up in debt i mean it's it's not positive for them i so, think it is one of those those kind of binary things though it's either going to do terribly and continue to struggle or we're going to have the news of the vaccine or we're going to have some positive momentum that's going to be like, oh, now concerts are on again and everyone's going to want to get out of the house and go to a concert, especially at their outdoor venues. But do you, I Dave, don't this is not a company that I can get behind at all. Not without a vaccine. Right. Like yeah. not without a vaccine, because like here's the thing. You might be fine going to restaurants. You might be fine going to the beach. Even going to your favorite store, Lululemon, if you, why do you need to? Just order it online. Just order it people, online. They want to go out, right? But concerts. People are desperate to go out right now, but concerts have to be low, low, low on the list. That and sports. Like, people are desperate for sports, but I think watching sports on TV will be the thing for a while until, until there's like a, a, a vaccine or a treatment or something. I think people are going to need to stay in the house. And watch their sports on TV and figure out a way to have sports uh, be e-gaming and maybe a version of, um, uh, you know, tested athletes that are able to actually compete in person. Dude, because here's the thing, like, if you think there's a middle road where, like, government has to say, like, okay, we got to get on with life, but, like, the whole, hey, get back to life, but, the but is, but no concerts, yeah. But no, like no events where we have sixty thousand people that can like where where we go in with like eight people that have that have the virus and we come out with ten thousand that have the virus. Have you seen some of that stuff where it's like one person went to a, five clubs in China or wherever it was? I don't, I don't know where and, it was. Uh, uh, South Korea. Yeah. And now they're still and, counting how many people are like one hundred and fifty people got sick that night or something it, crazy. It was like that. it was four. The initial article was forty, and then there was an update that it was a hundred. And yeah, it's it was just. And that's in a country that that has contact tracing. In this country, that won't happen. We won't be able to tell you that this one person went to a club one night and then it, it turned into a hundred cases or one hundred and fifty cases or five thousand cases or whatever. We're not gonna we're not gonna be able to give you that data because we we just don't have the database nobody's asking the question but by the way uh there's some awesome comments going on right now about live nation and uh someone asked the question can live nation uh just move everybody to uh online concerts and tim white just gave the greatest answer it's the exact answer i was going to give live nation is like like the most hated company in the world guys like they basically lock up every concert venue and then force musicians to like sign deals with them because you can't 
have a concert unless you want to go through the mob, which is Live Nation. And basically then Ticketmaster, which they also own, has a lock on that. Okay, if if artists are going to give concerts from their home, they're not going There's through no, Live Nation. No reason. No. They'll, no, they'll use an online startup that is like a tip jar type thing where you can pay what you feel like it's worth and you're going to get a concert from my living room and it's going to be an acoustic set with my drummer on Zoom and it's going to be, you know, it, it, it's not a... It's not something that Live Nation needs to coordinate or facilitate. There are way easier, frictionless ways. The only reason Live Nation is a thing is because they have venues and they have the, the ticketing. Totally. Online, there's no reason for them at all. Totally. So, so no, Live Nation is not making one penny in, in these online concerts that would happen, in, in my opinion, at least. Like, I don't see how that actually happens. Um, but, you know... All right, so we all agree, Live Nations, you know, they're, they're, it's a net negative for them, a second wave, no doubt. It's part of my short portfolio for second wave. But how about movie theaters? I mean, yeah. are, are, there, are there people that, <laughs> I can't even believe I'm having to say this. Like, again, you, we can go on with life, but not go to a movie, stupid movie theater. Like, like, that is just so not necessary. I would almost rather go to a concert and go to one of the Live Nation venues where I could sit in the lawn and like just like try to like edge people away from me uh, than go to a movie theater that's enclosed. Because like, I can wait, first of all, I can only imagine you going to an outdoor concert. You would probably bring cones and plexiglass shields, and it, we we had a live outdoor concert in your front yard where just like thirty people from the block showed up. And they weren't even allowed to be on the same side of the street as you. I it luckily got the uh, quarantine pass because you know how strict <laughs> I've been as well and was able to breach your coned-off barricade. But I wish I had a picture of the signs that your kids made saying, stay off our lawn. It was amazing. I loved it. <laughs> I, have, I have a big hope in this that um, this will push the direct release a lot quicker. Um, that we'll just get them straight to our house. We don't have to go to a movie theater to watch new release well, movies. I think it was Universal that said they're going to do that. And then AMC said, no, screw you. You can't do that. If you're going to do that, we're going to ban your, your releases from us altogether. We're, not, we're never going to show another one. I mean, Dude, Dave, I really do don't think remember, anyone needs an AMC. Dave, do you remember like 15 years ago, 16 years ago, when I was so adamant about direct release that I started I, – I don't know. If it wasn't through Twitter. It was email. I would email Mark Cuban – and me and Mark Cuban actually had an email conversation because <laughs> he owned movie theaters, right? Yeah. And he's like, through, uh, he's like Magnolia and his, he had a, he had a studio and a theater, which kind of makes sense because you need a place to release your movie so that they can then qualify for an award. And then the award will drive your on demand. But he was a pioneer in the, what they call day and date release, where it is mm -hmm. released in theaters and online at the same time. He which gets is it. The he only way to it. do it. I think people would pay fifty, sixty dollars for 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 a same day release at home, because uh, you know when you start sh the average two and a half, three person, it comes out to basically the same price you're paying at the movies, especially when you can make your own drinks and have your own popcorn. It's essentially equivalent, right? Yeah. And then the movie keep the the, the entertainment company 
the production keeps 100% of that revenue or very close to it if they want it. Like a Disney Plus situation. Disney keep 100% of that, right? Yeah. Right. Because I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize. own the content. They should be able to get all that money instead of sharing with AMC. Especially well, and, for and you don't realize how, how the movie theaters work. The movie theaters actually are they're contractually uh, given the entire amount of the ticket until they've covered their cost. And so it's a really screwy system where the studio takes on the risk and produces the movie and, and all of that, and then pays for the advertising, pays for the distribution, mails a print or beams a digital copy to the theater. And then the theater gets to charge tickets and keep all of the money until they've paid for all of their expenses, which is why the tickets are high and the popcorn is high because they, they get all of that money. And then once they've gone positive, then the overage they split with the studio. It, it's a, it's a system that doesn't make sense. The studios just need to get on the bandwagon of self-releasing. And I, Tim White, I saw also had a comment that the, the theater, that, that AMC is done unless they're acquired by a tech company. And I agree, but I just I can't wrap my mind around why a tech company would even need a theater. Amazon wants to buy them, evidently. They've no, I thought that was I thought that was proven false. I thought that was a well, false, no, they've uh, been they've had conversations. Now I, I'm not saying they're still looking to buy them. Yeah. They've had I don't understand it honestly. Like I don't get why they need them or would want them. It seems like a big fat waste to me. Um, unless they want to use them as distribution centers for Amazon. I mean, I don't, I don't, a real estate play maybe, uh, but buy them out of bankruptcy, you know, like, and so how about, uh, IMAX too? Like same thing, like, you know, it's not just AMC, it's IMAX, it's what region I think is publicly traded. Yeah. Listen, I am definitely, definitely adding the theater chains, the whole group of them to my second wave short portfolio okay that's it they're in there all right uh for any that are still they're still around and not bankrupt they're in there all right um just like live nation uh they're saying tech tech companies could retrofit the theaters for 4d or vr or something it just seems like a Uh, weird i think we're living in a time where you don't really want to be in an enclosed space with a bunch of people with some piece of technology on your face that then is going to be put on a thousand other people that day. It's just, there's nothing about an in-person entertainment experience that makes sense today to me. Okay. So by the way, people are saying that Amazon was going to acquire AMC networks, not AMC theater chain. So maybe that, maybe that was it, which makes more sense to me. Yeah. For content for prime. Is that yeah. Yeah. So, so, so listen, like theaters that are on my short list, right? They're on my short list to short in a second wave scenario. Uh, Right there with them, though, is the next category, gyms. And this is another one that I just... I I have a short here. So, you know, and basically when we talk about gyms, we're talking about uh, Planet Fitness, right? And Planet Fitness, (laughs) they've come back up so hard because it's only 10 bucks a month. And they are... I don't know, like, is anyone going to cancel at 10 bucks a month? But still... They have franchisees. I think, I think, if we get a second wave, gyms, Planet Fitness is done for like another eight months, kind of like Live Nation. And I think we see Planet Fitness a lot lower in a second wave situation. Like they tested twenty five. I think they could go as low as thirty, thirty five again. They're at fifty right now. That yeah. we see a second wave. So I think it's a pretty good short candidate. Yeah, and you, you can run, you can run your long short there too with Peloton. 
I mean, I can't get more long Pelotons. <laughs> it's insane. I'm super long Peloton. I almost yeah. have as much Peloton as I have Amazon um, right now. But, yeah, I listen, I saw a picture of a gym in, I think it was in, uh, maybe it was in South Korea or Singapore, and they basically had dividers between every single machine, right? And first of all, you know what that tells me? That's a lot of money. That's expensive. Uh, but you're in a gym with dividers. It really doesn't prevent you from getting sick. It just kind of control. Maybe instead of one person infecting 10 people, one person infects three people, right? And so that still doesn't make me feel good. What happened to just doing push-ups? Like, like <laughs> I do push-ups here. Like, you don't have to go to a gym. You can run around the street. You can ride your bike around the block. Like, I just don't understand how many people feel that they have to be in a gym during this time. Like, there's a lot of stuff you can do, but is going to a gym or going to the movie theater where you can see a movie from home, yeah. do you have to do that? It's so easily replaceable, isn't it? I I totally think so. It, it it that it that's not something that makes sense to me. I feel like that Planet Fitness and I don't I don't even know what the other public gym companies it's are. Fitness. It's just Planet Fitness. But are but there other the- ones that are is is Equinox public is are there any of the more expensive ones because planet yes, fitness lifetime, the thing it has going public, for it no and they're all going bankrupt like lifetime's going bankrupt gold is going bankrupt uh that's what i'm looking for is is planet fitness the thing it has going for it is it could pivot to being an at-home subscription service where they provide you know videos people will pay you know it's not their, their 200 bucks a year for a video package like five bucks or what 20 bucks a month, a month and forget about it People already people do pay for those video yeah. packages, like the workout at home, you know, motivational things. You know, I think Planet could pivot to be an online distribution platform, similar to the way Peloton is selling equipment and subscription. I think Planet Fitness could basically close half of their locations, cut down on cost, maybe close all of their locations eventually, and just become a home fitness brand. I could see well, that Planet, happening. Planet that's what Fitness, they. That, that's what Planet they. Fitness doesn't even own their locations, right? They're a franchise model. Yeah, they're like franchise model for most of them, I think. Yeah. Well, then that's and, not good for their franchisees. But but for the parent company, they could launch this at home initiative and become, because they are a known brand and they are an affordable. They're thought they're thought of as the affordable way to have a gym membership. And if they had online, if they basically, I know that they are creating online content now. If they yeah. basically extend that and make that a permanent part of their offering, wouldn't that be interesting as a at-home gym alternative play? Um, I just don't know that they have the right brand for that. But so so Peloton, thirteen bucks a month, and you get to hang out with the cool kids and all the greatest instructors in the world. And like you could be like, yeah, I do Peloton too. And by the way, they are the best, right? They have the best instructors, the best platform for it. So basically, could Planet Fitness have a cheap version for five bucks a month? Maybe they're doing it right now. They're they're home. They're calling it home work-ins. United, we move. We're bringing the gym to you. Yeah, maybe Dave. But how much do they charge? Is is it like ten bucks or five? I mean, well, I think it's free right now. I think they basically haven't they paused membership and and now they're just trying to stay relevant by having these these home work ins. But it's not free. You still have to be a member, right? So it's ten bucks a month. Well, I think they they've basically paused the the. uh, I'll find out. Yeah. So listen, I do not 
thing. Planet Fitness needs a crazy number of people to continue to pay them 10 bucks a month. The Planet Fitness business model is getting an insane amount of people to pay a very small dollar amount, 10 bucks yeah. a month, right? And then having 99% of them never show up to the gym because it was so cheap to begin with. They don't even care if they show up once or twice or three times a year. It's only 10 bucks a month. Okay, so but if the gym is closed because a second wave happens and a city forces gyms to close, then legally Planet Fitness has to give that money back and can't charge the ten dollars a month. That is how Planet Fitness gets screwed in this whole deal. Okay, so and then they have to get people to like re-sign up for something different like Dave's talking about. So Planet Fitness for me on a second wave is in my short portfolio uh, because I think they get cut by 30, 35%, 40% from here in a second wave scenario. So they're in. I mean, uh, Dave, you could be right. They could come out and make their thing really cool and start marketing it and people could be like, screw Peloton at 13 bucks a month. I'm gonna pay five bucks a month for the Planet Fitness version. But that's all speculative. And I don't trust that Planet Fitness is going to pull that off in a, shoe, in a few short months. And that takes tremendous marketing. And well, I, I what I can tell it. you is this might be an opportunity for them to have basically free marketing for their existing members to try. They, they are doing these free at-home work-ins. They, um, they actually, in their store, they have gear that you can buy to make your home work in uh, easier. It's way cheaper than buying a $2,000 bike to uh, have delivered that is on an eight-week back backlog. Nine and they're doing, these, they're doing these through their um, YouTube channel, and it looks like they already have 66,000 subscribers on their YouTube channel. Oh. So who knows? Oh, that guy is so not Peloton that you just showed me. That is like That is like... The anti like this just looks junky to me. That all that just this looks guy? junky to me. I well, well, let's I mean, let's look at one of their workouts. So they are doing these the work in let's let's just see what the content even looks like. Dave, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if a second wave hits and they are forced to close the gym, that means they're forced to refund that money. They can't charge it. They have to get people to proactively sign a new contract or do a new thing of this whole work at home thing that's a brand new subscription fee they have to build a business from scratch and if they have to do that they're they're done man they're like that's a whole nother business like that's a whole nother thing um that just looks so junky that's not <laughs> who is their web design who's their like their branding agency you know what that actually works for planet fitness it is uh, perfect for what are you talking about they're the average joe gym that's yeah, that's all i'm saying for the so and, and chris joe you're gym. you're watching a little behind real time i actually have one of their workouts on it looks like it's uh filmed at our office outside of the capital factory actually and they have <laughs> some people outside doing doing a workout that you can do along at home and i'll tell you my girlfriend is probably right now downstairs doing a workout to a video that she pays $200 a year to subscribe to their ongoing content. If this became a thing, Planet Fitness could be the brand for being an at-home gym to extend their possibility of, you know, whatever they, it is that they do now. <laughs> they're always going to be, be 
They're always going to be the B average Joe brand, and may, maybe they make it work. I don't know. I'm, Here's the thing, though, Jordan. The, the, the average Joe doesn't care enough to actually look to do to pay something to do this stuff at home. Yeah. The average Joe is just like, screw it. I'll just like the, the only reason why Planet Fitness was so successful. I'm getting is my workout in. I'm I'm just following gym. along. This is good. It's like it's like it's like I got a gym membership. It's tangible. It's real, and it's like yeah. it's so cheap. It's ten bucks a month. It's like yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get healthy. I'm gonna go go down to that Planet Fitness for ten bucks a month. And now I feel like I'm part of the gym. They go there three times, and they go back once every six to twelve In weeks. In fact, after seeing that video, I might short them regardless. <laughs> <laughs> it is so bad. It is so bad, man. It's crazy bad. Well, the fact that like... they're releasing their stuff on YouTube and, and don't have any kind of technology behind their uh, platform, I just want to see real quick what their most viewed video is, just to see Dude, how many people. <laughs> Oh, they here's have 3.5 million views, but that's no, that's an old video. That's not. Dude, that's not this. Here's why I love Peloton. You know, I always go back to the same thing. Howard Stern got into radio because everybody else in radio he thought was so bad, so bad. He's like, I could be the best at this. I think the Peloton management team and the Peloton branding agency and all they're like, dude, like we're gonna kill it because everybody in the gym world. They just don't understand how to be 2020. It's just everything is so like old school and the way people think in the gym world, right? You know, and like and that just shows you right there, Planet Fitness. It's just it's a very it's a whole thing, man. I'm not. I think they're so they're so screwed. Well, this this workout got sixty three thousand views so far, and it's been out that for a month. Not- it is nothing. <laughs> all right, all right. So okay, so gyms are there. I'm putting Planet Fitness on my short on my short uh, portfolio for for a second wave for a second wave. Okay, so That's- somebody brought up who was it? Uh, Jared Spencer brought up. What about Dicks? Uh, Dicks Sporting Goods. Dicks Sporting Goods. Okay, so um, that's really an. In- I've been thinking it's about this. It's interesting. Look, they sold out of bikes, right? So um, yeah, you know, that's like, for them to like move the needle on the positive for them. But um, nobody's going to dicks right now. So actually, Jordan, uh, there's a lot of data out there that sporting goods uh, are actually really in demand. There's actually a tremendous amount of sporting goods that were ordered the last couple months because. People are stuck at home and they're ordering all, whether it's fitness equipment, whether it's bicycles, whether it's... But do you order it from Dick's, right? Because I I can't imagine ordering something from Dick's when you can just order from Amazon. I see going to Dick's because it's convenient. Um, Well, what I'm going to say, Jordan, is that I think this big rush in sporting goods, whether fitness equipment or like bicycles and stuff, I think it was front loaded. Like, I think we got a tremendous amount of people that were, okay. I'm stuck at home. My kids need a way to do fun stuff in the backyard to practice soccer in the backyard or do this or do that. Right. So they're ordering all that stuff for themselves and their kids. I need some new weights. Like I heard like you came and buy weights. They're just sold out everywhere. Right. Like barbells. Right. So like that, I think, yeah, dicks can benefit from that right now. And I think they are. But in a second wave scenario, like this, I don't dicks is missing out on all our old company. Order my gear like yeah. it's the largest company of sporting goods to uh, sporting, excuse me, uniforms and all that stuff to kids that are playing sports. 
those kids are not playing sports in a school setting next year if we get a second wave, right? So all the all the shoes, all the equipment, all the stuff that Dick sells to the youth, to the 70 million kids that do youth sports in America, like if they're not doing like organized youth sports in the fall, that is catastrophic don't Absolutely. You think, for Dick's Sporting yeah. Goods. And like I'm thinking that maybe Dick's is a good candidate for the shortlist for second wave because of that. Um, I think I think they did okay right now, but the second wave, I think they I don't think they do as well on a second wave as they did in the first wave. I don't know. Yeah. Um so okay, we're getting to my favorite here. Uh and this is an article that I sent to y'all. Uh, I don't know if you had time to read it. It was the whole concept about office space in America and just this. There's a debate. And by the way, I was on a, I was, I was reading this tweet, this tweet, tweet storm debate about whether or not people are going to go back to brick and mortar offices, and if so, are maybe certain industries are, certain industries aren't. Right. This is a question that if you can figure out the answer. There's a tremendous amount of money to be made on either side. And I'm going to say that if we get a second wave, that is going to support the argument that now we're going to have another six months of work from home for them, for not everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people. And that once you start talking about 12 months work from home, that is institutional change at the enterprise level where the enterprise now has to completely figure out how to adopt to this new world and once they fully adopted to the new world of work from home try you just try getting a cfo to to re-up an office lease that is for like eight million square feet when they've been working off of two hundred thousand square feet for the past 12 months now he's not going to say everyone's staying at home forever but he's like, we do not need 8 million square feet of office space yeah. when we've been working off of 200,000 for the last year, okay? And everybody's happy and everyone's fine. And by the way, I can now hire, I can hire data scientists in Texas for half of what it costs us to hire data scientists in San Francisco, okay? Like, dude, I am on the side of, it's not gonna be work from home forever, but I think it will never be the same and I think office reefs are truly at risk if a second wave happens. If it doesn't happen, maybe they maybe they rebound, okay? But if it does happen, office reefs. So I picked the largest and the smallest office reef. And I want you guys to help me figure out which one is a better short because I don't know and I, I, I literally can't figure it out. So I, 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 just have, I just have to point out that we are hitting the two-hour mark and our buddy Len has uh, commented that he thinks his recommendation for shorter episodes what, must have been completely ignored. <laughs> no, it wasn't ignored, Len. We did our last episode at uh, one hour. One hour, exactly. We just had so much. Episode, we were gonna, there's no way we are going to do that because we had to talk about like 15 different sectors Okay. He Lynn, says he, he's you, okay with you it. Took your word to heart. Guys, can you, <laughs> was Lynn right? I mean, I think Lynn's right. We need to keep this thing. 
Lynn said half an hour. That will probably not happen, but I think he's yeah, I right. Think, I think an hour. I think we could good. be predictably one hour. I would even do this more frequently if we knew that we were not going to take up our entire day doing it. And we, we want to respect your time at home, too. But people do like the long episodes. Dutton Studios says, I like the long episodes. Um, Clinton says, good stuff, very invaluable. Uh, someone is asking what the noise is. It sounds like a suspense movie. Th- there is some, some weird, is your microphone close enough to you, Chris? We, we, we have some comments that you sound like your, um, your microphone might be, uh, inside of a boiling kettle of water or something. Well, that, yeah, that, uh, was, evil that genius was evil said that. genius. <laughs> Me? Does this not sound good? It's, it's a boom mic a foot from my face. It's not a foot yeah. from your face or I would see it. It's, it well, needs to be directly over your head like this. You see, mine's actually in the shot. (laughs) Dude. All right. All right. All right. Fine. Um, Here's the deal. Now, now I just want to talk about these office reads because I'm really excited. All right. This is way closer now. Okay. On. That's way closer. I don't know if you can see it. Tomorrow, do it over you, over you, because you could, I literally have it like right there. I got to like, I have to get up to do that. The whole thing. No, I'm not saying doing it now. I'm saying next time. Race I need a bigger. It's also it's connected to my computer because of the wire. It's, it's it's complicated. All right. Anyway, I think you just need a longer is, wire. Is, is it's what way this closer comes down now. To. I'm talking right to it. Okay. Um, can I just talk? So two reads. I want to discuss this. You can help me figure this out. And Lynn, I felt so good after the last episode being an hour. I actually walked away and I felt refreshed after today. These two hour episodes, I feel so beat down. Like I'm just. It sucks the wind out of me. So I want to keep them under an hour from now on. But People want longer ones, done. though. We're, we're getting a lot of comments that say long episodes are great. <laughs> okay. Love hearing you brainstorm. I mean, literally, this this otherwise, if we weren't on YouTube right now, this would just be a phone call that we would be having with each other talking about what we're planning to do and what we like and true. don't like. True, true. All right, so listen to what I found. The biggest of the office reads, the like the baddest, the biggest, like like the the the, the read that 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 basically. Uh, the landlord to LinkedIn's tower in San Francisco, like the biggest office tower that's ever been made for a company. It's like, I don't know how many billions of dollars they spent. Their landlord and the landlord to all the other big tech companies all around the world is called Boston Properties, BPX, okay? Meanwhile, on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, there's an office rate called City Office, okay? CIO is their ticker symbol. So these guys, CIO, City City Office, they have properties in growth markets like Dallas, Texas, like Atlanta, Georgia, right? Like in the South and in the West. And they have kind of smaller buildings, okay? Uh, they don't have these huge kind of massive multi-billion dollar companies like like Boston Properties does. So who do you think gets hurt worse in a second wave? Because Boston Properties, you could make a claim that they are in these like 10-year leases with LinkedIn that aren't going anywhere for a long time, right? But they also have a lot of smaller ones of these big companies that are going to like say, hey, Google already said, we're like not doing, and all that new office space, they were planning on like some crazy amount of new office space, like, I don't know, millions and millions of square feet. They're like, it's done. We're not doing it anymore. Right. So don't you think that, or, or do like the, do the, is the smaller re the one that has small, not small business, but like medium startups, like medium business, are they going to get hurt more in, in a second wave scenario? I can't figure it out. Honestly, I might just short them both. 
dead air. Are right. you, you're going to short both of them? Yeah, no. like, like, yeah, like the sounds like, good now. Like, what do you think? Like, which which ones are better? Which which is better? I mean, I I don't really. That's not one that I looked into, so I I don't really have an opinion. No, but I mean, would you rather short a, a huge office REIT that has all the biggest tech companies in America, or would you rather short a regional REIT that has you know smaller buildings with maybe startups? And and law firms, right? And I maybe think, like mortgage I think both, companies. I think both are bad. I think I think that we've already seen the big companies say we are going to have less space. Google has said we are already getting out of agreements that we were about to sign for more space. I think big companies also are going to downsize dramatically. I think small companies may decide they don't need offices at all. I, I think both are kind of in trouble in the medium, short to medium term, and we'll just have to see what happens longer term to see if there, if this trend to online working and work from home for forever, like Twitter just announced, becomes a a permanent part of our culture, or if people are just wanting to get back and have that social hour, bef- you know, before work around the water cooler, and and that becomes something that people missed. But yeah, I think that Pedro's- really depends on the tenants, right? Because so I've talked to people that work for AT&T and they're, you know, full on wanting to get back in the office, right? They're an old school type company. I think law firms are want to get, they want to get back in the office. Um, it's just a certain, like you've got programmers, maybe those people, it doesn't matter if they're in the office or not. So tech firms, um, they're probably not as sensitive to office space, but, uh, you know, a lot of the older school companies are. So Pedro made a good point, like CIO, like the smaller read. They're, they're, they're focused in the South, right? And the South hasn't gotten hit as hard. So maybe that's an argument to be made that you focus on Boston properties, shorting them because they have buildings in San Francisco and huge cities that if we get a second wave, like nobody wants to go in those offices and those office prices are, are going to potentially come way down, right? Um, because those are like AAA properties in the top three or four cities in the country. So I kind of lean, I would agree, I kind of lean in shorting Boston properties because, man, that stuff I think would get hurt. I I, I don't really know, but I think at least I want to put that out there for our viewers to at least understand that there are bigger REITs and smaller REITs. And there's probably a strategy that I haven't personally figured out yet. Um, But I think the office REITs, I feel like I want to short at least one. Um, if but, the, but the way. residential REITs, we're, we're somewhat bullish on because we've seen that apartment buildings, at least in the higher end apartment buildings, are able to collect the rent, at least for now. And we're yeah, starting so- to see, you know, um, potential additional stimulus coming. And I think residential is, is probably something that will, will do well, better than, I mean, it, it came down and maybe it's a good buying opportunity. I just I think that it's it's just too hard to judge for me on these office REITs. And I see all of them being less. I mean, who wants to be in a congested skyscraper right now? This this could be like a longer term trend of people moving away from city centers and further out into rural areas because they're what what used to be the the burden of a commute is now just I have more space for less money and I'm still doing my job on zoom. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't have the, I don't have the answer. I, I do love residential. I think the residential REITs for the most part are probably fine still. Like our building that we have in Dallas, we own a tiny, 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 tiny piece of our apartment building. Uh, they, we have 100 percent rent paid in yeah, last, last month. And this well, this last month was ninety eight point eight percent or something like that rent paid. Mm-hmm. So we're doing great still. On, on that side. Yeah. Um, well, so especially right now, you need somewhere to be, right? And then on the other hand, I've actually been looking at some mortgage REITs um, um, just because they they trade to NAV so so well right now. And the last thing somebody's going to let go is their mortgage, right? I mean, they've got so much equity built up in their house. That's the last thing they want to – so they'll give up on all sorts of things before they stop paying their mortgage. Yes, yes, cor- cor- correct, correct. Um, so – Listen, we had a lot of really, I think, interesting ideas, right? And hopefully, if you're watching today's episode, again, you know, just take this as an idea session. Uh, You know how we're thinking about it. I think whatever your short portfolio looks like in a second wave scenario, if you choose to do this, don't wait. Figure out what it is that you want to short now, today. Have your second wave short portfolio ready to go and then start watching the numbers. And if over the next two or three or four or five or six weeks, the numbers start to look ugly in terms of new, you know, new transmissions or you know, new positives in, in various states, you can start to think about kind of getting more into your short trade. That's what, yeah, that's that's, what we're doing, it's, right? It's about having that, we talk about it all the time, that prepared mindset, knowing what you're going to do in any scenario. And today's scenario is, you know, what if, what if the second wave is bad? And uh, later, I think uh, maybe next week, we're going to do an episode on what if it's, if things are better than expected. And yeah, Dave, that is, can we just talk about that for a minute? Uh, guys, I cannot even tell you how excited I am about next week's episode. Part of the reason I couldn't sleep last night was I was researching for this episode, but towards the end, I started starting my work on next week's episode with, with some of the stuff going on with vaccines and with the Oxford vaccine right now over in Europe. And I think we could be weeks away from news that would completely rocket this stock market. Yeah. Okay. And I cannot wait for next week's episode. This could be one of the last big opportunities to trade this market for this whole event that's happening in 2020. It could be coming up in the next few weeks. And you better darn have a prepared mind for what might about to happen with news that's going to come out of this Oxford vaccine study out of Europe. Because Man, if it if it, the news comes out, what I think could come out, I am going to make some of the, my biggest trades of the year in the next few weeks, and I'm going to be prepared for it. We're going to talk about it on next week's episode. You do not want to miss it. Can we just say we're going to do that on Monday or Tuesday? Is it Monday or Tuesday? We usually do. Um, I think it's Monday. I think Monday? we usually do Tuesday and Thursday. But is if we want to, if we want to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we can also do that. If we do an why hour. Not Monday, why not Monday, Thursday? It gives us two days between. Okay. Monday, Thursday. Done. Let's do Monday. Because then I have I have three days to research for Monday's episode. All right. Monday at 12 Eastern, uh, we're doing our vaccine episode. These are the vaccine trades. And by the way, we could be days away 
of this information leaking about the, there there are people right now thousands of people in the oxford vaccine study that have been injected with this vaccine and we are going to find out can you hear me not hear me i can hear you oh you're me oh sorry uh we're going to find out uh very soon there's going to be leaks about these people either getting sick or not getting sick and as long as they can hit that number that critical number do you know that if we even from what I understand, as little as a dozen people out of thousands that get the virus from the control group and only a couple people from the non-control group, that that would be enough to claim that this vaccine is a success. That would be enough. And if that news comes out, do you remember what happened to the stock market when the remdesivir news, which wasn't even real news, it was junk news, came out on remdesivir. Do you remember what happened that day? That was a treatment that you have to have an yeah. IV put in you to get a treatment that gives you like a, a nominal, minimal, a yeah. nominal difference. Exactly, and that that made everything skyrocket. So hopefully we'll hopefully we'll have some positive health news, and hopefully we'll see something that um, not just for the market, but for for health, but. I think that that's, that's what we need to prepare for next, and that's what we'll, we'll be doing on Monday. Yeah, you want a happy episode? Monday is a happy episode. Monday is going to be upbeat, happy. We're going to look beyond this whole thing, and we're going to talk about long trades that could be, oh, I just thinking about, thinking about some of these trades that I'm planning to make <laughs> and how they could potentially go gets me so excited and I know it does for you too, Jordan, because you've been waiting for this, right? Like yeah, you've been waiting for a chance. There, there, like, there, I've got like three or four that I know I will hit the button on immediately. Like hard. Hard. Hardcore. Well, as All long right. as you're hitting buttons, why don't you hit that like button? Are we are we gonna wrap up, guys? Yes. Are you are you, are you ready? All right. Please. So um lunch. that like button. I was gonna say, um, I don't know what I was going to say. Basically, thanks so much for watching. Before we go, do smash the like button. YouTube algorithm Podcast. always likes the likes. Oh, yes. If you haven't subscribed, if you haven't subscribed, you have to do that now. Do it here. Do it on our other channel. Do it on my channel. Hey there, Dave here. You can also find our live shows in podcast format. Just search for Dumb Money. If you're a podcast listener, here's something that I have for you to do. Take 10 seconds, write a review on Apple Podcasts. I saw we only have two reviews and I and we've had like over 5,000 people listen on Apple Podcasts. So do that. Follow us on Twitter, Dumb Money TV. Uh, Chris Camillo, Dave Hansen, Jordan McLean, we're, we're all on Twitter. We are Dumb Money. We will see you guys bright and early Monday, midday. This is Dumb Money.